Hey everyone, we're back with Game Face, episode 132, but most importantly, it is our best of E3 2018 episode. We have 12 categories, 14 that didn't count. ish, a dozen ish categories that we're gonna give out awards for. Uh, most of them, we're just giving a winner. There's a couple where we have a runner up and a few categories where we chose like an honorable mention where we felt really strongly about a game that deserved to be recognized. Uh, E3 is over, actually right at this moment, just 24 hours over, mm -hmm. ended yesterday. Um, we're gonna go, get into the show first and talk about like our general impressions of the show overall. Uh, we'll do two up, two down, like we always do for our Best of E3 awards, and then we'll get into the awards proper. Uh, before we get going though, I wanna say a couple things. Uh, first, I wanna thank our curators who worked uh, during E3 week for us. Vincent and the crew did an amazing job. It freed me up so I could create more content for you guys. Uh, so if you see them on the site or maybe they're in the chat tonight, please thank them for what they did because they put in a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of long hours. Speaking of long hours, I, uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I cannot wait for this show to be <laughs> over. <laughs> I am so tired. If I yawn during this episode, I really apologize. I haven't slept more than five hours all week. It's been a lot, E3 gets longer and longer. Today is- Now started on Saturday. Yeah, and today is the 18th straight day that I have worked without a day off because you start doing all the planning and getting everything ready before it, it starts. So I am burnt. Uh, yesterday was a great day at the show. Literally the best last day of E3 I've ever had. Uh, and we'll talk about some stuff that played into that and why that's so, uh, but E3 is over. It's like what happens after E3 is you have like this emotional letdown. Mm -hmm. Like I got home, I was all jacked up. And then after I finished recording the third dev or the third diary that I did from E3, like I, it hit me that it was over. And then it just, <laughs> I just fell into this pool of exhaustion uh, and it had to keep working. And then last night I did finally get like six and a half hours of sleep. Uh, so I'm starting to catch up a little bit, but this weekend's going to be very, very important. Uh, a couple other things. I did mention a bunch of this stuff in my E3 diaries, but I know a lot of people only watch Game Face and don't watch some of the other content on Sifted. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a great show, I think. You, not so much. No, I didn't uh, enjoy so much of the uh, difficulty getting in. Yeah. Um, we had some badge problems. Yeah. It got sorted out after some time and then um, uh, day three, apparently they were, you know, the day three they were checking IDs. Um, because they found uh, people like 5,000 people were trying to sell their general admission badges on Craigslist the yeah. night before. Um, there was a there was a, a a tangible police presence at this E3. I'm okay with that though because remember last year people complained. Yeah, they were saying that uh, there's no security and everyone's afraid mm -hmm. someone's going to come in there with a bomb or whatever. Well, now there's bomb sniffing dogs everywhere. There's so. bo there's bomb dogs everywhere and there are metal detectors at every entrance. Yeah. And I mean it did take longer to get into the show, but I'm 100% okay with that. It's more of a depressing sign of the times, I it guess. It is, um, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. Yeah, but that's the price you pay when you let the general public in. It is, absolutely, yeah. But you know, when you bring in equipment like I did every day, you have to get all your equipment searched and they look mm -hmm. through all that stuff, but ultimately I think it was worth it. Um, it felt a little better laid out than last year. Like at least smaller. It, was, it was smaller, but it was also like, I mean, also it was just because of the lack of Microsoft in that one hall. And like, EA, because they yeah. used to be side by side. Yeah, it all kind of like, it felt a little more spread out. There was more room for people to walk around. I think the booth, like the booths were crowded after they let the people in. I think the early morning, like industry only hours are very useful, very necessary. Absolutely, yeah. 
got a ton of stuff done and played in that amount of time. Um, and then they let you know the masses in, and it is a pretty crazy running of the nerds when that happens. Oh, like yeah. I, was, I was in the, the the lobby when they let them in on uh, Wednesday, and it was I mean just giant security men holding back people and like people trying to run around and guys grabbing them and throwing them back in the crowd. I mean it was it was a little chaotic. But, They're running uh, to get that free stuff. You get that Nintendo booth, and uh, but once they get in there, like. You know, the booths are crowded. You couldn't get near anything you wanted to play. But walking around was okay. Last year, you couldn't walk around. Like, they weren't planned. Yeah, out. I like, mean, Tuesday lines, was pretty bad. lines spilled out into the, into the, the pathways. And, like, yeah. I mean, they, it felt like there was a little more thought this year. Like, Sony's booth. People were talking about how Sony's booth had nothing in it this year. It really didn't. I mean, it was, it was a wall of Spider-Man and a little Destiny section and a little Black Ops 4 section and a little uh, FIFA section. And then the rest was a giant stage with, like, an open space in front of for people to sit down and watch. But like that's the kind of space you need, you know. Because last year it was the same kiosks everywhere layout they've had forever, and it was just this choking mass of yeah. humanity. And like this, that consequently least, now there was nobody in the Sony booth. It yeah. was empty the whole week. It was it was not empty one time, and that was, that was at 4 p.m. <laughs> on Wednesday when I I, was, I had to go in to see Dreams, and I got there right as Kojima was about to come. I'm like okay, I'll do this, and like I sit, I'm like oh, there's a space here, I'll sit down. And I was really boring, and like they had, you know, because Kojima's not going to tell you anything, like yeah. in the yard on And know, he didn't. It's just a bunch of like softball questions about, like, what was it like working with Norman Reed? You know, it was like a 30 minute blowjob for Kojima. Much. Like he always gets every right. time he does an interview. No one ever asks him hard questions. And I started to kind of doze off at one point because it was warm. Yeah. Know? And, and, uh, and I was like, maybe <laughs> I should just get up and like, and I turn around and it's just like this mass of humanity behind me. I'm like, I guess I'll just stay, stay here, here until it's over. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, the, people knew when something something big was happening, but like generally the Sony booth was pretty empty outside of the Spider-Man section. I thought Tuesday was crazy. Well, like, Tuesday when every I mean everybody was there at once because of the first day. I mean, that's that's yeah. true of any convention. It, but it was insane. Like it was mm -hmm. hard to get around. If you look uh, if you look at the B-roll that we put up, we did a, a show floor tour that's been up on the site for a few days now. If you look at that, that was shot on Tuesday the first day. It's intense. Mm -hmm. Like literally just getting log jammed over and over again. Mm -hmm. And you were talking earlier about the, how it's smaller. It is way smaller because they lost EA and mm -hmm. that booth was the size of like a mall. And now they've lost Microsoft. And they, so they took all that space and just chopped it off and put like these curtains up. And that hall now is probably half the size of what it mm -hmm. used to be. Um, they kind of put some, I think, some indie stuff along the edge yeah, there. You, and you the mixer the booth was still there, but it was puny. You definitely hit the weird like, like, fringe stuff faster when yeah. you're walking around this year. I mean, you, that one hall was kind of worthless. Yeah, usually on one there end... There was Nintendo, you, Sony, and then nothing else. Yeah, I mean, they had, that was where the game media was. Like, IGN was in there. Um, and, uh, what was it? Uh, you had Atlas. You had, Atlas uh, slash Sega. Sega, and you had... Um, uh, Which I'm sure Atlas Exceed, is very happy about. And yeah, you, had, you had kind of the, the old school people were in there. But Sega's booth was completely dialed back from last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Last year, yeah. Sega's booth was impressive. It had this really cool tunnel that you could walk through that had like mm -hmm. lights that chased down it. This year, it was almost like a food truck with like some kiosks set up. Yeah, it was, it was an afterthought. Yeah. Much. There was, yeah, they uh, had pulled back a good not bit. Much I mean, they didn't have a lot to show. I mean, last year they had like Persona 5. And, right. And so, you know, they had, still had Persona, the Persona dancing games at this one, but yeah. it was just, it was a subdued presence. Absolutely. Um, a lot of it was, I mean, a lot of it was, was like, you know, this was an E3 where people showed off stuff that we already knew about. It was more like a let us expand on things you've heard about before. 
Well, it's like we had to pick best debut at the show. Yeah, there weren't a lot of those. It was hard to pick the like best you, debut. Like if you really get, you know, there's people who's like, oh, Cyberpunk debuted. It's like, well, no, we knew about Cyberpunk years ago. Like or five like, or years ago. We knew yeah. about Ghost of Tsushima last year. We knew about, you know, yeah. like if you're, we knew about, uh, you know, The Shadows Must Die in December. Yeah. You know? If you're talking about something we'd never seen before, you're very, very limited. Yeah. It was, there um, wasn't a ton. And several of the things that we had never seen before, because um, we're not counting leaks, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, I didn't, wasn't too impressed by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and not uh, all the debuts were good news. Let's put it that. Yeah, way. that's true. Um, the other thing, the attendance for this year's E3, mm -hmm. eight hundred people short of seventy thousand. That's a lot. The all-time record for E3 is seventy thousand. So it fell mm -hmm. eight hundred short of that. And guess what year that was? That's probably the year before they felt they had to move it. Yeah. That was the year before they were like, whoa, 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 this is getting out of hand. Well, there was a lot of, I know there was a lot of chatter uh, uh, after hours about... Um, Over libations. Yeah, about like what was happening to the show, you know, like what's going on. And like yeah. a lot of people are convinced that they're basically like waiting something out here. And then when it gets like critical mass, they want to move, they're going to move it to Vegas. Which is the place with a convention center big enough to handle it. Talk about full circle. Because yeah. E3 started as like a spinoff of CES, CES Vegas, in Las yeah. Vegas. And now it's just all coming back around. Yeah. It'd be better than doing that weird thing they did in Santa Monica. So Yeah, that was not a good that was not a good look. And an excuse to go to Vegas for a few days, I'll take that. Yeah, I don't like Vegas. I, I like it for three days. And after three days, three days get is definitely me out my of Vegas there. limit. Yeah. <laughs> get me out yeah. of there. Uh, but overall, I thought the show was handled well, despite the new security, I thought... It was better than last year. Absolutely. For yeah, sure. and there were more people. Um, one thing, one observation I did make is that Nintendo's booth was not like it usually is. No, Nintendo's booth was real Spartan. Yeah. Uh, not to draw Assassin's Creed comparisons. Right. But like, <laughs> no, because I, I, I remember we, you know, we speculated, oh, it'll be Smash Brothers themed. Like, no, it's just big red Switch logo walls and a big open space and... You know, you can play Smash Brothers. You know, Matt, you could not... The first day you could, you could just walk into Nintendo's booth. Mm -hmm. After that, you had to wait in line just to get into, into the, the booth. booth. Yeah. I've never seen that before at E3 from any publisher. Well, ever. I, anything that was an open booth, yeah. Because, like, the, the Zelda year, you had to wait in line just get to inside. Play. In, no, to get inside. To get in the Zelda all. booth. But that was the, the Nintendo booth, period. was just the no, big no, Breath no. of the Wild. They had the regular thing. booth, and then there was a little walkway that went into the big Zelda world. It, they had their own normal yeah, a, booth. A little tiny, like, section around it, yeah. Most of no, the booth, it was big. Most of the booth was that. I, I can show you the B-roll. It was a normal Nintendo booth. There was a little hallway that you walked mm -hmm. through, and then there was, like, this dome that was all Zelda World. Yeah, well, you could walk through the middle of the booth. You just couldn't get into the Zelda thing. You had to we, wait in line. This year, you could walk through the middle of the booth. As you much couldn't. As I walked After through, the first day, you no, could I not. I walked right through it twice on Wednesday. You, you then you slid past security because no, they, I was stopped no, a, all day Wednesday and all day yesterday. They would not let you in unless you waited in line. Not even to just walk around and watch other people play games. No, they, were, they had the, the places where you played games sort of cordoned off, but you could walk through the direct center. Through, I, it was I like did. an aisle. And they, they stopped me over and over had They had all those, they had all those like, you know, the props in the display cases. Like you could walk through those. Like that was the only thing. You, you got lucky. Do. Absolutely, you could not. I did that like three Tuesday times. Tuesday, I did it, no problem. I walked all the way through the booth. Thank God, that was the day I shot the B-roll of the booth. I went back Wednesday. I tried to go in three different entrances. They're like, we're not letting anyone into the booth unless they wait in line. I left. I came back an hour and a half later. I kind of slid in, and someone came and grabbed my shirt and pulled me out. <laughs> went back yesterday. I couldn't even get in. They were on it. Like, you literally were not allowed or not supposed to go in 
unless you waited in line, which I have never seen before. And it wasn't even that crowded. Like Nintendo's lines, the line for Smash Brothers was maybe a quarter of what it was for Mario and Zelda. Like Nintendo had created these huge, like um, they looked like a parking lot, like for an amusement park ride where your people were supposed to snake back and forth, empty. They never even had those, like there was two of them. One of them was always completely empty. The other one was never even a quarter full. So Nintendo anticipated a lot more uh, traffic for Smash Brothers than it actually got. I mean, usually Nintendo's booth is that. Right. It's the most heavily trafficked, is the most crowded. It doesn't even matter what's on display. I mean, there were yeah. lines like that to play Star Fox Zero. Yeah. You know? But yeah, and it was, their lines were not full at all. And of mm-hmm. course, I'm sure you've probably seen already that Nintendo's stock has fallen yeah. 15% since the Direct was released. Well, their 2018 schedule is barely existent. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people are stupid for selling the stock, but I, it is a sign of how investors are reacting to what Nintendo mm-hmm. did at the show. And most of the analysts are saying the reason that people bailed is not because they didn't show like Metroid Prime mm-hmm. 4 or Retro's new game. It's because Nintendo didn't show stuff that's going to appeal to a wide audience. Right. Um, maybe they should have held Labo for E3, but, uh, but overall, I, I had a great time at the show. Uh, E3 is always a blast. I mean, I'm at the point in my life where I look at every E3 as like, it could be my last one. Like you just never know. Like maybe something doesn't work out and I don't, my next job isn't even in games. And maybe that's the last E3 that I ever go to. You just don't know how life's going to work out. So, um, I tried to squeeze this one for everything it was worth just in case it was my last one. And I did. And I'm glad I did. I had a great, great time at E3. And that's just with the games and everything, not even counting all the people that I ran into mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great, great week, man. I've had a really good time. I think our coverage was good. Uh, we definitely put up more original coverage for E3 than we ever have. Uh, we have more stuff coming. We have Pactor's episode that we shot yesterday morning from the show floor. I have the segments that I did with the fans, uh, talking to them about uh, their, some people would come all the way from the Netherlands. Like I found some really good people to talk to about that. So. Um, I'm not promising anything for this weekend, folks. I need a, at least a day off to like just chill. Um, but as soon as I'm a little re-energized, I'll start getting on that stuff and you'll start seeing that content. And it is evergreen. Uh, so you're not gonna lose anything by us putting it out a couple days later. So please give me one day grace period to get a little bit of rest. It's been a tough week for me. But anything else you wanna add about uh, E3 2018 no. before we get into the two up, two down? I think that about covers it. Um, I'm trying to think of the Microsoft being across the street sucked. Yeah. Um, I only went over there once. And I yeah. will say this, because they were across the street, I went over and got to play everything in like two hours. Yeah, it didn't seem too, too packed over there. Yeah, somebody caught wind of me talking about the fact that I didn't think it was a good idea for Microsoft to leave the show floor at PAX Party. A guy you probably know, David Ellis, do you know him? Yeah. He's an old journalist who now works at 343 on Halo, and he overheard me telling somebody that I thought it was a bad idea for Microsoft to leave. And he came over and gave me this spiel about why they've done it, and we're just across the street. And I mean, I do get it. Like with Microsoft, they own that, that, building, that yeah. building. So it does make sense for them more than EA. And I explained it to him. I'm like, look, EA's really the dirty birds in all this because they're away from the convention center, and they're just basically skimming off of the convention mm-hmm. to get people to their event because you have that event two weeks ago or two weeks from now, you're not going to get that kind of turnout. So yeah. I, I wonder what their turnout was because that, that place is a long way away. It is. It's like, 
I didn't go. I never no. went over there. Like it, the good news was, a lot of EA stuff ended up being in like Sony's booth or yeah. Nintendo's booth, and I got. I got to. Play. I got to wonder how the Anthem people feel. Yeah, I feel like that game got lost. It in did. The, in it the, absolutely in the did because most of the people that went to E3 never experienced it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's EA's decision. If it thinks it's smart, then it'll keep doing yeah, it. Microsoft. I mean, I mean, they're not wrong. Right across. I mean, it is right across the street. Although Literally. I will admit that like. Once you fought your way through all the security, the idea of leaving to go over to Microsoft was a little bit when of a, you come back, a bit of a downer because you got to do it all over again. Yeah. yeah. It's a deterrent, um, without a doubt. Even though it's right across the street, it's a deterrent. Microsoft had no security. Yeah. So. You just walk right in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's our general impressions of E3 2018. They did you... have free Coke, though. Outside, yeah. of the, outside of the theater was a free Coke stand. Yeah, yeah. You can get Coke Life in a can now. What's Very Coke Life? That's their stevia flavored uh, version of Coke. I never even heard of that. It's uh, is it's it like good? A, it's better than it's better than aspartame, I think. Yeah. Or sucralose. It it's like a it's like a leaf. It's like a leaf they grind up and it's sort of sweet. I'll have to give it a go. It's not bad. I'll try it. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about two up, two down. We do this sometimes when when uh, content or topics are low and it's a slow time <laughs> in the industry. But this segment was actually born mm-hmm. from E3. Uh, because it actually is really good for E3 because we talk about two games that kind of went up on our hype scale and two things that went down on our hype scale based upon our experience at E3. So Matt, you're up with your first up. Uh, my first up is The Last of Us Part Two. Not a surprise. Um, as someone who was not a giant fan of the first game, uh, I'm you know kind of a skeptic on, uh, on Part Two. But I think what they showed here... Um, uh, both convinced me that the storytelling is uh, on par, or not, if not better. I think you're going to get better performances out of their tech. Only and, Ellie is playable. And they're going come out the last couple of days. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, I think the speculation that Joel and the teaser from last year is a ghost or in her head is probably correct. Or or she uh, finds out he lied and. Kills or they him. doesn't talk to him anymore or something. It could be something like that. Yeah. Some, but clearly he's not really in her life at this yeah. point. Um, but I mean, the, the dramatic scene here really worked for me. Certainly, the best kissing technology ever seen. Absolutely, I've never seen a kiss look so real in real time. And some of the most violent combat animation of all <laughs> yeah, time. Absolutely. Um, and like the the sort of the more survival driven sort of grab stuff on the fly and immediately use it against the guys who are attacking you, like cat and mouse element of it. Um, just felt like they were, it felt like a similar concept to what I think they are going for in the first game, but it really felt like they're nailing it better in this one. And I'm sure a lot of that scripting and stuff, and we, you know, we've seen yeah, The Last of Us 1. Yeah, there was a little mini controversy this week over that. We've seen Naughty the last... Dog admitted that it was, they didn't say it was scripted. They said that their tester had played it, like, dozens and dozens oh, of sure. times. Oh, sure, but I mean, it's like, if you don't expect that in a demo like this, yeah. like, what are you even talking about? Like, it's... Yeah. You know, I mean, if every, if, as long as everything's in the game, I'm fine with that. And that's like the that's the issue of, um, you know, The Last of Us One was like when when we finally got the game, a lot of the stuff, the way the enemies behaved in that first demo in like the in the building in the rooms, the hotel room or the apartment building or whatever that was, this simply wasn't in the game. Um, so as long as all this is in here, as long as it can happen, like I'm fine with kind of doing sort of what is essentially a rehearsed ver- vertical slice of the game. But like. I like how she's not married to any weapon. Yeah. She'll use a weapon for like 15 seconds, it'll get stuck in a mm-hmm. dude's face, and she just leaves it. Yeah. And just picks up something else from the environment or whatever. And it also makes me interested in the story and the scenario. Like, you yeah. know, so clearly, like, when, you know, it, it cuts from her, you know, kissing the girl, and the girl said, you know, they should be terrified of you. And it cuts to all this, and it comes back to that. Yeah. And it's like, if they're, if they're going to tackle the idea of like, 
You know, clear, I, I'm assuming, you know, from the language of cinema here, that um, the, the combat here we're seeing happened before the dance she's at, that she's, she's thinking back to what happened. I don't even know if it'll be um, set up like that in the No, game. but, like, yeah. but the, the implication of how you do those shots coming back is like you're in her head and you're thinking about, the, you know, here's this touching moment she has with this person she cares about, and, she, you know, and your mind goes back to this horrible thing you had to go through with these people who are trying to kill you. And if it's kind of about this balance of how to be a human after you've done all this crazy shit. I mean, that's, I mean, that, and that's a real thing soldiers deal with. There's a PTSD element there's to it. There's like a lot of stuff going, you know, you go, growing up in this world is going to screw with you. And clearly this world is getting a little better. Like if you can afford to have a tent revival dance, like and you're not doing worry right. about a yeah. bunch of zombies bar barging right. in you're and not eating everyone. You're not scrabbling every minute for survival here. Like yeah. this, is a, this is a community that has found a way to have a little bit of leisure time, even if it's maybe for like a harvest festival kind of thing. Yep. So, and so, and it's also kind of taking the post-apocalypse thing like kind of a forward in that idea and like so yeah I'm I, I'm intrigued I want to know more uh, especially especially impressive to me from a game that I really didn't feel needed a sequel like I felt like yeah, the story was told and that ending is great and I didn't feel like I needed more really mm -hmm. but now they've got me interested to find out what this more is like I'm uh, I'm on board for Last of Us 2 right now and I really didn't think I'd be saying that. Well it went up for me too but I was already hyped for it. You were kind of yeah. down on it before the show. I've always been Yeah, like, this all in. this basically pulled me from slightly negative up to pretty positive. Yeah. I'd say I'd say this, this made me cross the line, like the neutral line. Yeah. Like then that's so that's why I picked it because I think I feel like that's kind of what this this segment's about. Will you care um, if Joel's not in no. the game now? No. Not at all. I feel like Joel's story was told. Yeah. He did what he, I mean, I'm sure he'll be in it in some kind of flashback or, right. or kind of, you know, you'll find out what happened. You'll find, you'll see him or if he's still alive, you'll see him. If he's dead, you'll find out what happened, whatever. But I think as you went through the narrative of Last of Us 1, it became clear that like Ellie was the story. Well, also the DLC and the, yeah, the DLC left her, behind right. focused on that. And so yeah. I, mean, I mean, she's the more interesting character at this point once she's gone through that journey with Joel. So I think focusing on her is the is the correct move. I'm also surprised that uh, that peop some people are surprised at her sexuality, because if you played the DLC from the yeah. first, you knew it already. Yeah, that that wasn't a surprise there was to me apparently at all. there seemed to be some people that like wanted to believe that was like a. a I don't know, a, a heat of the moment thing or like a, oh, she didn't really want to do it, but like it's just, you know, you don't deny someone that in that situation or what. It's like, no, I feel like that was pretty well established. No, the DLC absolutely established yeah. it. The one DLC is just her and this girl and they have yeah. a couple moments together where it's made plain. Yeah. Yeah, well, just, so. Some people won't see what's in front of them. That's true. All right, my first up is Marvel Spider-Man, Insomniac Spider-Man. I didn't know you were down on this well it wasn't that i was down on it it's that i was lukewarm on it i wasn't mm -hmm. all that excited to play it i i had said on uh i think it was during our sony analysis that i said mm -hmm. that it it looked in a little bit like an older game to me um and i st after i've played it it still kind of is but i had a ton of fun playing well i mean it's clearly uh taking a lot of lessons from the arkham games absolutely yeah but um I, the fact that arkham was batman and we've never played a spider-man game that kind of took the you know I would say actually Shattered Dimensions sort of tried to be a little Arkham-y, yeah. but it just didn't quite pull it off because yeah. it, it just didn't have, didn't get the verve right, you know? And this one's, this one's like, you know, I mean, obviously it's Insomniac and they have the budget and the talent to really like go for broke and they yeah. don't really have, they don't have a hard, a hard deadline like the Activision games seem to have. Like the Activision games were a little more workmanlike and this seems like a, like a, 
a, a glamour project. Yeah. Um, so what yeah. sold me is a combat. Once mm -hmm. I really got my hands on it, and I had a guy standing next to me because he kind of let me he let me jump the line and he let me play the whole demo because the way the demo was set up was you get tossed into the open world mm -hmm. and then you get to a certain point where you basically have to choose what you want to do you could either do a boss fight against shocker or you could do the warehouse level that we've seen a bunch of times mm -hmm. and he let me play all that pretty much um, and so he was in my ear like helping me with combat like the basics are very easy there's like one attack button and then the other stuff is for your web stuff but he was telling me, okay, now you want to fire your web. Now you want to go this direction. And it was opening up the combat for me and explaining it to me. And once I had someone there to kind of guide me through it, I started to realize just how robust and how versatile mm -hmm. and how open-ended the combat is in this game. Like, I started doing stuff, and I was like, I don't even know how I'm doing it. But it looks awesome, and it was fun. Yeah, the thing about this game is, like, um, you know, because the Arkham games had that, had all the gadgets and all the different like. But they're integrated into how you fight in this game so much better. Seamlessly. Because yeah. in Arkham, I always had to remember to, oh, yeah, I could do that if I wanted. But, but generally, like, Batman could get through that by just flipping around and punching people for right. the most part and countering. And a but lot of my battles in Batman looked the same. Yes. But Spider-Man, like... no two battles no, look the same in this you game. You can integrate all the web stuff. You can, you can, I mean, the environment bouncing off walls. Like, I mean, using enemies against each other, grabbing stuff from them and swinging it around. I mean, it's... It's about that improvisational kind of like only Spider-Man has that fighting style because he's Spider-Man. Like yeah, no one yeah. else could do it because no one else has that balance of powers and like they're really nailing it here. And they're also, the one thing that I noticed when I played it was that using the, your web to grab stuff and then, you, and then swinging it around is mm -hmm. a really important tactic that you have to use in yep. this game. Again, something that only Spider-Man could do. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm sold on Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. We don't have that long to wait for it either. Yeah, it's three months, a little under three months. I will say, um, I, I, I watched a lot of footage, uh, footage of it, and I also watched people play it a lot, because if you're in the Sony booth, there's not really anything else to do. And um, I feel like he killed a bunch of people. <laughs> like, he knocked a bunch oh, of people yeah. off, off roofs. Is and he that. not supposed to kill people? Spider-Man does not kill people. Oh, he does not kills kill people, people left and right in this. Um, he, I, mean, you're, I, I mean, never knew that about Spider-Man. Oh, that's like one of the key things about Spider-Man. I, I thought that was Batman's thing. Well, a lot of heroes don't do that, but Spider-Man <laughs> does not kill anybody. I did not know um, that. Crossing the line to killing somebody is like a, thi like a big deal if, with him. Um, oh, people die in this. Absolutely, I mean, they well, die. <laughs> like they die around him, but like he doesn't throw them off buildings and stuff. And I remember uh, in interviews last year, they said that like, oh, if a guy's gonna fly off a building, we attach a web to him, so he just kind of hangs there. I didn't see that in the in, I the didn't either. in this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, also there's the whole thing. It's like if you get if you get grabbed by a web, swung around three times, and smashed into the ground, you're dead. You're dead. Yeah. Like you're. <laughs> I mean, the, the conceit of a lot of, of comic book stuff, especially Spider-Man, is like if you were hit with like a fist or a blunt or thrown or something you didn't die right. it's like as right. long as you weren't shot yeah. basically it's like you but in this gotta game, go. you can literally pick up boulders with your web and yeah. swing them around and smack people with yeah them. this thing <laughs> it's, it's like the um it's like the the batman fight uh in the warehouse in batman versus superman where he's rescuing martha kent and like it's awesome and it looks like an arkham game but you're like he's dead he died. He's yeah. the the guy who got hit by the forklift pallet is dead. Like it was like it was like no one. It was like five people didn't walk away from that. And I definitely feel that like watching the combat in this game. Yeah. It's a nitpick though. It's I don't just, care because I didn't even know. So yeah. <laughs> I just had fun. Well, right. I guarantee he'll get brought up during the game because his his no killing code is a is a An major character thing. trait. Okay. Um. So we'll see. Our first down we actually share. Mm-hmm. And that game is. 
Soul, Soul Calibur, Calibur 6. 6. Both of us are down on Soul Calibur 6. Um, did you get to play it, Matt? Yeah. Not um, a long line for this. No, I mean, I mainly wanted to play because I wanted to try Geralt. Yeah. Because um, I want to see how he played. And he, I think they translated he fits, right? well. Yeah, he fits, I he think no he problem. fits better than some of the characters that are in the game. Yeah, he, he, has, he, has, a, he has the look and uh, he, he... And the abilities. And, and he matches right and like they do all the signs and everything. You can drink potions and stuff and yeah. it all works. I don't understand how a lot of it works, you know, strategically because I was just sort of messing around. Yeah. But I did win both my matches. Yeah. Um, my main thing is like, uh, and this has been discussed a lot online as well, but it's like, it's like some of the stuff and some of the assets in this game are from Soul Calibur 4 and just sort of like up-resed. That's and like, bad. And like, there's a lot of things in it that they're kind of taking from the recent Tekkens that feel like they don't really fit. Like, yeah. especially the change in, um, in like, kind of slow motion stuff, which I feel sort of messes with the, the flow that Soul Calibur's famous for. That is for. my biggest complaint. Um, the stop and go combat. It's not bad, but it doesn't feel like Soul Calibur, Soul Calibur that much. And, like it's, like, it's not like I'm down on the game to the point that I'm like, I'm not buying this kind of thing. But it's just, it didn't feel, you know, if you, if you played enough Soul Calibur, you have an expectation of a feel. It's rhythmic. It's, the it's, combat yeah. is rhythmic. It's all and about it's, that timing of the the. Weapon. And it's definitely different. You even see it here where all this sort of like movement and that kind of thing's happening. It's just the flow is gone. The yep. flow is not happening. And like I guess maybe you feel like you need to add something like that to change it up because you can't just make Soul Calibur again because that's a 15 year old game yeah. or whatever. But um, I don't know. It just didn't. Oh, I think that'd be okay. With outside that. of my uh, outside of my Geralt fandom, which I was like, oh, this is a really cool way to interpret this character in this form. Um, I was just like, hmm. Like, it doesn't really look any better than Soul... It doesn't look bad, but it looks better than Soul Calibur V. And in the face of that Dead or Alive 6 trailer, it yeah. feels like this is a little... It, feel, it feels like this is a little like a half measure. I you know agree what with I mean? that. And here's, here's something interesting. So, while I was waiting to play and watching other people play, the slowdown was happening literally, like, every three to four seconds. Yeah, it was part of certain, mo certain move stuff. And then I played, and both me and the guy I was playing against, we were doing it, like, every three or four seconds. Mm -hmm. But... Last night, I was watching Bandai Namco play it, and they hardly ever did it. Interesting. So I don't know if ultimately, once you get good at the game, it's something that you don't use that often, but everybody on the show floor, it was just happening over and over again. And I was like, this is like a slow motion fighting game. What is going on with this? So maybe ultimately, it's a thing where we're all just noobs, and we don't really get the game yet, and that's yeah. why it well, was I mean, being played that way. There's an element of having to learn it. I mean, certainly... Uh... By the end of my second match, I kind of understood better how the interrupts were working and how, like, um, you know, you can't, you can, you can uh, counter, you know, a faster attack will counter a slower attack because of when the hurt box starts to happen. And uh, my assumptions about certain moves Geralt had were often wrong in comparison to what people were doing with Mitsurugi against me or whatever. And um, so was, that's a learning curve. But like, it is, it definitely feels different from your average Soul Caliber, and that's going to be. Something you either adjust to or you just can't handle. Yeah. And um, I feel like I can adjust to it. I feel like I would need more time. But um, just the fact, you know, just the fact that, and it's, it, maybe this is like old man prejudice, but like Soul Calibur used to be like, oh my God, I've never seen something this gorgeous. You know, in the Dreamcast, yeah. it was, you know, Soul Calibur was a Best cutting edge. Best looking fighter game no, ever. Yeah, no, game ever, yeah. No, no pun intended, cutting edge yeah. graphics. <laughs> Um, and this just feels like another, it feels like an expansion to five. It feels lazy to me. Yeah. Probably the best way I could describe and it. And I mean, certainly Tekken 7 didn't look like that. Yeah. You know, in terms of like graphical fidelity. It's like, I, I just feel like, 
I don't know. It didn't didn't blow my mind. Mine and, I, and I was like hoping. I was just. I wasn't even really expecting to think better or worse of it. I was expecting just be. I want to try Geralt, and I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll play a little Soul Calibur. I'll be like sitting in a warm bath, and, right? You know, yeah. we'll, we'll break from comfort me food. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was like, oh, yeah. this is this is off. This is strange. Yep. So we'll see when we play the final version. You know, E3. You're getting that vertical slice. You have that limited amount of time to play. So sometimes your impressions can go a little askew compared to when you finally get the uh, the retail version of the game. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, your second and final up. Uh, my second up is Dreams, which I got a very long demo of. Which most people would never even know was at the show. Yeah, it was a subdued presence. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, did a lot of interstitial stuff during the press conference, but it was not highlighted. Um, but I got to sit down and play this, play around with this for about 30 minutes. Um, played through some of the campaign stuff they have, which is like all these three things. It's like the cutesy bear and the fox and then the, the sort of noir thing and the, um, uh, what was it? This, I have this, no this idea. This techno thing, <laughs> this, this thing where you're jumping around doing this virus stuff. This is more of a platformer kind of thing. Um, whereas the, the noir thing is actually a point and click adventure. Um, sort of sort showing of, yeah. some flexibility, um, and it's. I mean, there were people walking behind me and like who were you know watching and like they, and every time it would change things, they're like, is this the same game? Like you know, it's the versatility is really impressive. So and we played a bunch of the the you know the little like kind of mini games that people had made in in Midi Molecule. They'd made the various things. Um, some of some is really impressive. Some of it's like. You know, just like you can make this with this. You know, there was a there was a space fighter game that was a lot of arcade space fighter, but there was also like this one where you were you were controlled like this big kind of Skylab looking thing and you had to like maneuver it with like thrusters through like real physics to try to dock with this space station, which I did not succeed in doing. <laughs> um, but it's there, you can do you know, you can do it. And it was, that was built by like their web developer. Uh -huh. It was like it was like it was like this guy never touched a video game engine, any creation tools before, and he made this like space physics simulator. And it's just like um, they took me in and they took me into the tool stuff, the creation stuff. And um, when I saw the demos, like on Sony stage and on the live stream and stuff, it felt really intimidating. It felt like overwhelming. There's a lot of re you know, very intricate stuff. You can control stuff down to almost any any level of granularity you can think of. But the thing is, like everything sort of works the same. It's almost like a unified control scheme. So like, you know. Rotating stuff all works the same. Sculpting stuff more or less works the same. Cloning stuff more or less. So like once you kind of get your hands and you're onto something and your brain around it, you'll be able to adapt that knowledge to like the other elements of the creation system. Um, I, I don't know how what you know. I did ask them like what percentage of players do you think are really going to dig into these creation tools, and they're like we don't know. <laughs> like they we, should know though. They should know. I'm sure LVP. someone knows, but yeah. like the 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 you know the audio developer isn't going to know right, those right. numbers, right? Um, Speaking I will, of which, you can make like tracks yes. from scratch. Uh, if you're into music, there's like a doll in this. Yeah, like if you're, you can make your own songs. If you're into music, if you're into music, uh, like you are. Uh, you can absolutely, I mean, the, the sound library and the mu instrument banks are gigantic. Um, just about any kind of sound you can think of and you can bring it into the music editor. You can duplicate it, you can you can flange it, you can pitch shift it, you can play it yourself with notes all in the, all in the controller, or you can uh, like, you know, use the analog sticks to, to, to kind of scratch tweak and tweak and stuff scratch, and yeah. mess with things. I mean, yeah, and, and all the music is laid out kind of like an editing timeline, like, and you can make a gigantic, you know, they have, you know, you, you open anything like that and it's just gigantic. You can mess with it, change it, pitch, whatever. 
take chunks out, like freeze that, you know, use it in whatever. It's, um, it's astounding. It's astoundingly powerful audio tools, um, which is a different thing than like sculpting and rigging the, the characters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But um, if you just want to make music in this and put it up for people to then pull down and use in their games in their they're games, making, like yeah. you can do that. Um, it's very free for stuff like that. And, and like I get it better now. Like I understand more like... And like the temptation is certainly there for me to sort of dig in and play around until I make like a wing commander level or something yeah. for myself. But like, I, I mean, I don't know how long it would take. That might take like three weeks of, of messing with this stuff and learning it. But you could see that the people that you know were demoing it and had dealt with this stuff a lot were like, boom, 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 boom. You know, they, they knew how everything worked and they could yeah. do it really fast. Um, it's a big barrier of entry, though. And a lot, it is. And I can also see now why it's been delayed so many times. Right. And but it is the, it is what it says it is. I think that's the most important thing is like it is what it says it is, and if you have the patience and the, and I guess to some degree the talent, um, you will be able to make something that's in your head on in this game. Like it's the, the, the creation tools really are that versatile. Like when you see all these different art styles and all these. It's gonna be a things. small fraction of people who do amazing stuff. With right, this. and I think that's the key. Is for like the rest you're, of us. You're gonna benefit. <laughs> yeah, the rest of us will benefit from some of the most ridiculous and crazy and creative things that people do. And like, you know, the people, you can just make animation in it. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be interactive. Like you can just make a little movie. And people were doing that. They had a game jam. Uh, I was there when, um, I think this has gone around Twitter through their Twitter since then. But uh, I was there when the uh, first videos of the game jam, uh, they had, somebody made a, um, like a bodybuilder penguin that was just shitting out other penguins. <laughs> and like standing on his head and pooping out more penguins and stuff, and like they that came through, and all the media molecule people were just like, "What have we done?" Like, <laughs> it's gonna get way worse <laughs> than that. And there, there, I, uh, there is, uh, I guess, gonna be a um, like, I'm like, what about like adult stuff and like weird stuff and violent stuff and like what? Are you gonna? He's like, there's, 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 I guess they're thinking about a subscription thing oh. where where you could have adult content or something. Interesting. Like, like so, so you'd have to opt in like monetarily to like oh, see that you. stuff. Got you. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, my uh, second up is, and this may surprise some people, is Kingdom Hearts 3. Interesting. Had never played it, had just watched video, I've seen B-roll of it being played. And you've certainly never played the series to any great no, degree. No, I mean, we played it on the one Patreon drive stream, and after like an hour, I was like, get me away from this freaking <laughs> game. I think, it's a, to me, it's a, it's a 3D platformer in, in pretty much every way, except it also has RPG elements. It's kind of like a, a 3D platformer RPG hybrid. Uh, I was really impressed with the gameplay variety in the game, much like a 3D platformer, but also how well each style of gameplay was handled. Mm -hmm. uh, there's ever, I mean, in the E3 demo, I played a boss fight which with this huge gigantic like stone golem um, that has a part in it where you get on a roller coaster and it turns into like an on-rail shooter. There was platforming, there was hack and slash combat, there was traversal, there was first person shooting. Mm -hmm. There's a section where you get in a mech and it turns into an FPS and all of it felt great. Um, also, it is one gorgeous game, absolutely gorgeous. They had this game playing on Xbox One X, also a trend pretty much across the entire show floor, I might add. Mm -hmm. All third-party stuff, unless someone has a deal with Sony, was being played on Xbox One X at the show. So you can see the publisher is starting to figure out, hey, our games are going to look, look best yeah. on this. Like, think about that, Matt. Kingdom Hearts 3. First of all, go back to like the last two Kingdom Hearts. I don't remember those ever being playable on an E3 show floor, ever. 
Um, I can't remember. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but I don't remember. I feel like Kingdom Hearts out. Two was pretty much always shown behind closed doors. Yeah, this one huge demo just put on the floor, playing it on Xbox. Mm -hmm. This is one hundred percent a PlayStation brand. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I walked up to the kiosk. I mean, and I was like, out really? I'm playing this on an Xbox. I mean, they're putting out a Kingdom Hearts PlayStation. It comes with the whole series. Right. Yeah, know? but not in their booth, man. Little surprise we're not getting any, didn't get any announcement of the HD collection coming to yeah. Xbox, but... It, it may come later, I don't know. But uh, I had a great time playing this game. Hmm. Um, I had somebody, again, over my shoulder helping me with, like, the RPG stuff. Like, there's a lot of depth to the combat in the game that most people don't even utilize. Like, while I was waiting to play, I watched other people play, and they just kept just hacking and slashing, hacking and slashing. This guy started telling me about, so like after a while you'll build up a meter and you get these crazy over the top attacks, like a little icon will pop up at the bottom left. Most people who are playing the game were just ignoring them. And once I knew about them, I'm watching them play. I'm like, bro, you have like supers just waiting for you to fire them off. And uh, once I played, I started using them and the combat just gets insane. Uh, so I was really pleasantly surprised by this game. I've never been a Kingdom Hearts fan. I wasn't very excited for this one before E3, but now I am. Well, good luck understanding what the hell is going on. I don't know that I even it. care about that, to be honest. Like, mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed the gameplay and, the, and how things were constantly just changing and switching up. It never really settled into this. I mean, that's this. Kingdom Hearts. Like, yeah. they've done that for a long... I mean, Kingdom Hearts 1 is a little bit anomalous because it's so straightforward in action RPG. Yeah. And Kingdom Hearts 2 started mixing it up a little more, making the boss fights a little more... Some of it was QTE-driven, but it was more like kind of epic moment stuff. And yeah. then like as you get further into like, you know, something like Dream Drop Distance, they mess with the format even more. Um, so it's interesting to see someone who like doesn't know the series kind of being like, oh, look at how much variety there is. And yeah. like the people that I know who are huge Kingdom Hearts fans played it and it's like, oh, it's just all the same variety again. You know, it's like, it's too... That's like an oxymoron, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Well, that's, I'm partly referencing a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh. Every night is the same thing. <laughs> Variety. I want something different. Yeah. And um, but I saw it's like it just feels you know it feels very true to the you know the last couple of games, Birth by Sleep and Dream Drop Distance, both of which are apparently must plays if you want to understand anything happening in this game. I'm not doing that. Um, Although with this summer coming up, I'm going to have time to. I am curious what the if the Xbox version will come with like a little like movie disc or something of like here's what happened before this. Yeah. So you can try to it catch might. up. Yeah. Some, you know, like I, I feel like for Kingdom Hearts, you might need some of that. It'll be the best-selling Kingdom Hearts ever, guaranteed. I, yeah, I don't see how on it multiple be. platforms. Game looks fabulous. Got um, frozen in it. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's, I think uh, actually my most the most impressive thing in there, I think, is uh, I think the tangled stuff. Yeah. Is. I am just floored by how they nailed the look of that movie in that game. I it's think incredible. everything is nailed. I they all, all they the all did it, but Tangled great. for some reason just makes me go, man. They just they just nailed it. Like yeah. I look at like the, the the scene where she like twirls around in the trail. Like like if you showed me that and told me that was from the movie, I might believe you in the, yeah. under, under oh, the right circumstances. Yeah. Like it's it really authentic. I'm very impressed by all their graphical stuff. And if you're wondering why we're not showing B-roll of Kingdom Hearts, it's because Square they Enix, is, flag it. Square Enix yeah. has also decided to pull a Nintendo and flag pretty much everything, uh, all their games. Well, so, either them or Disney. You know, yeah, it could be one or the other. But I mean, Square Enix does it with some of its other games, True. too. So we just decided not to run B-roll. Well, you can't let anybody see unauthorized photos of yeah. Octopath Traveler. Yeah, so while we sit here and talk about how, ga how great the, great the game looks... looks yeah. You just have to use your imagination. I'll never understand the logic. Anyway, it's time for our final downs. Maybe mm. we should have swapped them and did the up 
last. Yeah. But anyway, our final downs. What's yours? Um, my final down is Fallout 76, which um, I guess is a little disingenuous because technically I guess we're supposed to pretend we didn't know about it beforehand. <laughs> but we, I, yeah, we knew we more or less what was it, happening because of the leaks, and, yeah. and they and they did um, they did their you know reveal through you know that was an official reveal, so it counts. Yeah. Um, and I liked a lot of what I saw in terms of visuals. I mean, like the the premise is cool. Uh, West Virginia's fun, um, a fun setting. I don't, I've never been to West Virginia. Maybe it's not fun. Like, you would know better. Than I that. was born there, but moved away. Uh, what um, does that say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still have relatives there, though, mm. that I visit sometimes, and uh, it's not an especially exciting state. Yeah, I heard there's some concern about like. In, among West Virginians about like it has to be, always be online and I guess West Virginia doesn't have the greatest online infrastructure No, that's in absolutely the world. true. That is so, absolutely ironically true. the people that like might be most excited about playing a game in their home state might not get to play it very, that's absolutely right. very reliably. Also net neutrality there is a big deal mm. because most communities in that state only have one internet service provider huh. and now they're all worried that net neutrality was just repealed on Monday that those mm -hmm. ISPs can just start jacking up the cost and there's nothing they can do about it. So so yeah, some, some definitely some concerns, but you know what, as soon as that press conference ended, I got text messages from all my relatives. They're like freaking out. I mean, think about it. In, in, in West Virginia, it's a huge story. Like they're talking about how it could improve tourism. There's mm -hmm. never been a game based in West Virginia. <laughs> so the whole state is just like losing their minds over it, hoping that somehow it could help the state because the state itself is very poor mm -hmm. most of the people there are, are very very poor and have very little to nothing so and i can tell you from some of the presentations they did during their press conference the towns that they showed it's insane that they showed those towns like they show one town called grafton i know exactly where grafton is and what grafton is and it is literally like a one-stop light town hmm. It is this little dinky place. Like it blew my mind to see like the city sign for Grafton in that. So yeah, the whole state of West Virginia right now is losing it over this. So that's cool. But I just um, you know that all, all that I enjoy. But yeah. like the you know the multiplayer mode aspect I, is not appealing to me. Um, I know they you know Pete and Todd went on and on about you can play it solo. You can play it solo. But like if it's always online, you're not playing it solo. You can yeah. just play it by yourself, right? Which yeah. is different than, than is, what yeah. you're at. You know, and I just feel like you know I'm so that that kind of game is anathema to me. And I I've, I've said it, I said it on the analysis thing too. I've never played a Fallout game and thought you know what would make this better? Other people. Yeah. And there's nothing about the presentation that made me feel any better about that feeling. And they haven't really they haven't shown it being played. It wasn't at E3. Yeah, there was nothing there. So like, it was basically like a booth where you could get photos taken with yeah, props. Yeah, there was and, the game was not there. And like, if you're a Fallout fan, that was cool. But it's like I still don't know anything more about how the game works or what you're gonna do. It's weird how, though. I mean, the game's coming out pretty soon, yeah. and it was not playable at E3. I just. You know, maybe it just doesn't demo well. Maybe they didn't want to, have to you know, bother set with up the that, network, that many and network have stuff. Play, yeah. Have people back in Maryland like to play yeah. with the people at E3. It just, um, I, I am less excited about it now, just because it has all these elements that I just don't identify with Fallout. And maybe in the end they'll make it work. I mean, those guys are really good at what they do. But um, my confidence is pretty low on this game, uh, or was going in, and it's not any better now. It's probably a little lower now that. Especially because it seems like they're nervous about all the same things no, I right. am. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's a I guess disconcerting. This we'll see. Uh, the other problem is that um, they had the power armor helmet that comes in the super duper, and I got to so I got to see it up close, and I guarantee you that thing is not going to fit over my giant head. <laughs> so like, 
the, the, the super duper collector's edition is completely out for me. <laughs> it narrows at the top. It would, it would stop right here. I promise. It would stop right at my nose. Like that's as far down as it would go. Uh, my final down, I'm cheating a little bit here. I am uh, not picking a game that I'm down on. I'm actually picking a publisher. And actually not even just a publisher, a platform holder. And that platform holder is Sony. Uh, Sony is starting to get full of itself again, just like it did during the PlayStation 2 era, transitioning into the PlayStation 3 era. It thought it could do no wrong. It was on top of the world. It was winning. And what did it do? It, it crapped the bed with the PlayStation 3 because it got too cocky. Mm -hmm. And I am starting to see PlayStation 2 Sony in PlayStation 4 Sony again. So obviously there was a huge kerfuffle over the, across the week over Sony's handling of Fortnite because a lot of people signed up to play Fortnite first on PlayStation 4. All their stats and everything are tied to that account. Now they cannot use that account on other platforms. So if they want to play it on the Switch, they have to start their account all over mm -hmm. and start from scratch. And Sony basically isn't budging on it. It's just saying, too bad. We're Essentially what it's saying is, we're winning. We'll do whatever the mm -hmm. hell we want. And to me, that's the exact wrong attitude. It's the exact opposite attitude of what Microsoft is doing. Right now, Microsoft, ironically, is the most consumer-friendly platform holder of all three of them. Nintendo's kind of in the middle, and then there's Sony all the way on the other end of the extreme. Um, I did like the, the UK Xbox Twitter account tweeted, uh, hey, uh, Nintendo UK, want to play some Fortnite later? Yeah. Like, they're going for they were They were going for it. They should. They absolutely should. And then the press conferences Sony had, self-indulgent. Um, they're like, oh, we just want people to hang out and check out. No, dude, like... People just want to see your games. They want to know information about your games. They want to connect with the people who are making these games. Their press conference was completely impersonal because they essentially forced the live attendees to go into these experiences for mm -hmm. each game. Like, if you read any of the write-ups the, from the people that were there afterwards, they were all just like, we had no idea what was going on. Nobody told the people that were showing up there what was going to happen. They were just getting herded. They're like, okay, now everybody needs to go this way. And everyone's like, what? We're this way. And like the journalists who were there, there was no way for them to write while they were there. They couldn't sit down. Like, they got their laptops out. Yeah. And I mean, people, people nest at these things. Absolutely. We well, have to. I yeah. mean, if you're live, live blogging it or whatever, or you're trying right. to file your report right afterwards, you have to write while it's happening. And so all that was stripped away. And Sony was herding people around to these different... It was just bad. And again, self-indulgent, self-important. We're going to do things the way we want. We don't care how it screws other people or how it affects other people. As long as we're okay in our little warm blanket that we've built around ourselves. And I just think that that's wrong. And then Sean Layden, after the press conference, when journalists were saying, yo, like, what's up with all this? What are you guys doing? He basically was just like telling people to F off. He's like, we'll do whatever we want, and people will like it. Like he's, he's like, kudaragi all over again. Five hundred ninety-nine US dollars. Right. It's like it's all coming back around full circle, and yep. that is what led to the PlayStation Three and five hundred and ninety-nine US dollars and a piece of hardware that no one wanted to work on. And what's the? I don't know. Like with all the Fortnite stuff, and like it's even being reported on in mainstream news now. Yeah. What? What is Sony's win here? Like, what is the what is what's, the end what's, game? What is what, it going? Uh, yeah, what's the do? advantage of dying on this hill? Like, where do the, where no are they? Idea. What are they preserving? What do they think they're getting out of it? Because it looks them, to me like they're just pissing off one of the biggest fan bases in gaming right now. They're just trying to throw their weight around. Like, it's insane. It's like a they're acting like an 
infantile child. Like the instant you think you don't need those big third-party things is the instant you get in trouble. Like they did that with the PlayStation 3 and they're doing it again. It's like, funny how it took like it, four years. It took four years for Sony to go from humbled to right back to the way it was before. I mean, when even Nintendo is being more open about their online play than you are, yeah. you sh really should look in the mirror. You, know? <laughs> you really should. Yeah, well, Sony will argue, well, they need customers, and Microsoft needs customers. We're win I don't care. It's like, so do you. Yeah. Like, you the, the winds have shifted many times. Yeah. And, like, the company that broke into the industry by paying people to be on their system instead of Nintendo's back in the 90s should really know how fickle this industry can get. Yeah, I mean, it went from the PS2 to the PS3. Yeah. Well, look look at what system everybody's demoing their stuff on this year. It's the, exactly. The tide's already starting to turn. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just tone deaf. Tone deaf, arrogance. Yeah. I never thought I'd see this from Sony again. I thought it had learned its lesson the hard way. It seemed that it had, mm -hmm. at the beginning of this generation, they were the consumer friendly. And it's so funny too, if you go back and remember like when Xbox One was announced and everyone's like, oh, it's anti-consumer and Sony's pro-consumer. And I remember telling people like, ah, mm -hmm. don't jump the gun here because Sony had the advantage of watching everybody react negatively to Microsoft's press conference and then magically flip mm -hmm. the switch and say, we're gonna do everything opposite. It's not. People have a way of thinking that companies care about them, and they don't. All no. they care about and is Sony their had, wallet. Sony had That's a it. similar DRM scheme ready to go. Absolutely, if they and to bailed flip on that it. Switch. it. And they saw, nope, the, Microsoft was the canary in that coal mine, and they saw not to do that, so they were able to do their mic drop in the press conference. That's why fanboyism drives me up the wall, because these people are delusional. They think that these companies really give a crap about them. They do not. All they care about is how they can squeeze another dollar mm. out of your wallet. Once you accept that, gaming becomes so much better. You no longer have this weird mental thing in your head where you're like, well, that's a PlayStation game or that's an, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a great video game. Like, break on through to the other side, people. Seriously, it, it'll change your life. It'll make your life in gaming so much better. And it will put people like Sony, and look, it's Sony right now. It could be Microsoft again in three years. Mm -hmm. It could be Nintendo in two years. All of them are the same. They're all just trying to find a way to squeeze as much money out of you as they can. They don't care about you. All they care about is your money. So just play the great games. It doesn't matter what platform they're on. Just play the great games, and you'll be much happier. Poorer, <laughs> but... Forward slash diatribe. <laughs> Over. All right, we're going to move on to our actual best of E3 awards. I think we actually have like 12 or 13 categories uh, to get through here. We're gonna kick things off with the best debut. We spoke earlier about how there just really weren't a lot of debuts. It used to be E3 was just loaded with debuts, but now, I mean, it seems like it's not just Nintendo who really says that, because that was the other thing Nintendo tried to say, is like, well, you know, we, we, did, we wanna show games that people are gonna be able to play soon. Mm -hmm. Well, what was up with that Daemon versus, or Cross Machina that doesn't come out till 2019? Right. Nintendo was trying to say, oh, we didn't show Metroid because it's not coming this year. It showed a ton of games that aren't coming this yeah, year. Yeah, they can't do, really hide behind the 2018 thing. Yeah, it's total malarkey. And it's not just Nintendo. A lot of publishers do it. But anyway, there were not a lot of legitimate debuts at this year's E3. So it was slim pickings. Matt, what was your choice? Um, I picked Resident Evil 2 Remake. That's um, a very good pick. Because we had not seen it before. It's still a debut. I mean, there was a lot of chatter that it existed. Yep. Um, but uh, I didn't quite call what this was when they first started running it. And Nobody I, did. And then I realized what it was, and I was like, oh, cool. And this is exactly what I would want a Resident Evil 2 remake to be. 
It's full. It's full 3D. It's a full reimagining in 3D that plays, you know, kind of like Resident Evil 4. Or apparently, there's a fixed camera version if you want to play it, like you know, like old school. Like we still can't make proper games and yeah. have to use pre-rendered <laughs> backgrounds. Um, but as you know, as someone who's kind of fallen out of the Resident Evil thing, like uh, this, this like despite how odd some of the characters look, um, this kind of got me back on board because the Resident Evil 2 is probably my favorite Resident Evil game pre-4. And, my favorite um, RE games are Resident Evil 4, Resident Evil 2. And now Resident Evil yeah. 2 plays like Resident Evil 4. Right. And like, four, I mean, 4 and 2 are probably really the only two I really like. I really like Code Veronica back when it was out, but I tried to play that when it came <laughs> to the 360. And I was yeah. like, uh uh-uh. uh. Back when like, it was out, I yeah. thought it was amazing. Now. Yeah. And I mean, I have two friends. I had two well. friends online who are giant horror game fans and they love Resident Evil and they make fun of me for not wanting to play the old Resident Evil because I think they're just outdated and they don't work well, they anymore. Are. Yeah, absolutely. But they tried, and I, and I bounced right off the Code Veronica. Uh, Xbox 360 version. So they're like, oh, da, da, da. and like two days later, they're like, yeah, we stopped. Yeah, it's like so it couldn't, bad. <laughs> it's it's doesn't work anymore. Um, but uh, I still always like two. I like Leon. I mean, Leon's probably my Even favorite. Even though you can't hardly tell it's him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, no one else has that hair. Yeah, I mean, the, the face haircut is gives it away, but otherwise, everything else looks different. The color of his hair, his face. Yeah, I think that I mean, Claire looks different too. But like yeah. Claire, you can kind of chalk up to be, well, it's Resident Evil Two versus now. Right. Whereas Leon sort of had an established look in Four that, that was, they don't seem to be matching. No, very much. Not here. at all. But that's okay. You don't look at their face that much. Um, that's okay because the game looks freaking yeah. awesome. It looks freaking, dude. The gore. Whoa. Yeah. Dude, like, there's a lot. I think the scene's in the trailer. I can't remember if it's in the trailer or if it's in the, the demo. But there's one scene where this dude is, like, torn in half. Mm-hmm. And the detail in the intestines and everything is oh, yeah. disgusting. Like, it's, it's... They're, like, glistening. It's Yeah, it's it's well beyond what I thought a Resident Evil game would do. Oh, they have gone a, above um, and beyond. But it works because, like, that's kind of, you know... That's the level of gore you got in the cutscenes in the original games, yeah. like equivalent for the time. Right. And I feel like, yeah, you got to step it up now, and uh, they have, and it looks good. I mean, I that Resident Evil Two almost made it into my uh, up down, except I felt that didn't make any sense because I didn't really have an opinion Me of it because it didn't yeah. exist yet. You know? yeah. I'm really hyped for this, like really, really hyped mm-hmm. for this. I am. It's one of my favorite games from E3 2018. Um, my pick. Just to keep the Capcom love going, Devil May Cry 5. Mm-hmm. Also, we had a game page up on, on Sifted for a while. Uh, so there were rumors swirling around about this showing up, but we had not seen anything of it. I mean, rumors have swirled since, like, last August. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Was, I mean, a lot this, of it was this just was, wishful thinking. Yeah, but, like, you know, the leak that happened with the development materials were kind of like, okay, this, is, this exists, but we just got to wait for Capcom to decide to tell us about it. it uh, it's nice to finally have it out there. It looks awesome. Um, I think it's giving fans what they've wanted. I know most DMC fans did not like DMC. Mm-hmm. I did. I thought it was a great game. I think it's a great combat action game. I yeah. just, But I understand people who don't think it's much of a Devil May Cry game. Absolutely. But this game is giving them exactly what they want. You're mm-hmm. getting Neo. You're getting Dante. More of the tongue-in-cheek comedy that the series is known for instead of the more serious tone that DMC had. Uh, graphically, the game looks great. You know the combat's going to be awesome because it's DMC. Um, I was not a huge fan of the first two DMCs. I, f- I felt a lot of it relied on style over substance. Nobody's a fan of the second one. Right, because it was probably the worst sequel in the history of video games. It's up there. But 
Like, DMC4, the combat in that game won me over. Like, I didn't really care about the aesthetics as much as the combat system, and it is crazy deep. Mm. So, now I feel like this game has both. It's got the great aesthetics, it's got uh, the tongue-in-cheek tongue humor that it had before, which to me was the best part of the first game, and it's got the awesome combat system that's been evolved over, like, four or five entries now. So... I'm all over it. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm really excited for it. And like I said, I'm not one of the world's biggest uh, DMC fans mm -hmm. to begin with. So I do think Dante looks weird. Yeah, I mean, he looks older. He's very old. Rougher. Grizzled, grizzled old man. I mean, his late 30s. Um, <laughs> and they don't show him much in the trailer either, which is odd. No. It's like it's, he, they don't show him until the very end when he's on the motorcycle or whatever. Yeah. So I was worried watching it for the first time. I'm like, no, they're going to keep him out again. And then, <laughs> nope. Well, I figured you probably aren't playing as him much, but maybe he's an unlockable. But Because uh, it seems like Nero's arm is very integral to the combat system. No, you're right, which does have me worried a bit. Why do you think they've moved towards Nero so much? I don't know. I guess because like, they wanted to change it up a bit. And also because uh, in Dante, by anime standards, Dante is ancient. He's like almost 40. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can see it, and, and uh, like you look at him here, and you're just like, "Oh my God, Dante, what happened to you?" Well, he's yeah. been hunting demons for all his entire life. Yeah, but that doesn't age anybody else in Japanese animation. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I think they're kind of using it. They've done a lot with Dante, and I think they're just sort of using him as sort of the the old badass like mentor slash. He'll come like, in and set him straight or yeah, some crap. Much. Yeah, pretty much. Or you know, <laughs> I think also the the the, the uh, implication is that, like Dante's so good. Now, like, we couldn't play him. Uh, like, you know, we, you, have to be, you have to be able to fail in a video game, and Dante doesn't do that anymore. That's funny. All right, it's time to move on to the best graphics at mm -hmm. E3 2018. Matt, what is your pick for the best-looking game at the show? My pick for best-looking game, uh, and I feel like I'm breaking from just about everybody else in the industry here, is uh, Ghosts of, Ghost of Tsushima. I think um, that's a completely valid pick. I do think, uh, if you're talking pure tech, I think Cyberpunk probably takes it. But Ghost of Tsushima takes so much, so many cues from cinema, and like is such so much, like especially color-wise, is such a love letter to Kurosawa and how he used the, co the color. Like this is this is more striking to me aesthetically. Well, look, than... you swore up and down that it was a PlayStation yeah. 5 game. Which is not. It, it, um, it, they confirmed 100% I was, I was told, money. I was told by the founder of Sucker Punch, no, this is a PlayStation 4 game, we swear, but thank you. Yeah, like, running on PS4 Pro. Um, All these visuals you're seeing yep. right now, PS4 Pro. So uh, Sucker Punch stays winning. Um, Absolutely. And I think, you game know... It's freaking gorgeous. I will probably concede if someone was to say, like, well, this technically, this, this, this is better in Cyberpunk. But, man, nothing pleases my eyes more at this E3 than this game. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, just scene after scene. Yeah. It's just, just the, one thing after the another. The sword fight in the red leaves is, like, with the, with the backlighting and the depth of field, and slowly, like, the, the arrows are coming through because the Mongols are showing up, and you don't have much more time because, before they're on you. And so, yeah. I mean, it, what, what, it's just, it all just... Amazing. Well, that last scene that we were showing right there. Yeah, I mean, through the, the field. And I mean, it's just, that is Sucker Punch saying, look at this. Yep. I mean, maybe in most games they'd show him riding for like three seconds. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We're going we're gonna to ride through this for yep. a good like 45 seconds to a minute. Look, look at how, you look at how the, the grass bounces off the horse's feet. Look how long it took us to do that. Well, look how each 
flower moves yep. independently of every other flower, and there's just millions of well, them. Well, this, there's, uh, there's 30,000 leaves in this scene. Yeah. Uh, and you can trample them into the ground and, like, write things in the ground with them and stuff. It's, it's a technical marvel. It's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't... There's nothing wrong with that pick, Matt. Nothing wrong at all. Oh, I don't think so, but, like, there's, you know... Cyberpunk has really dominated the kind of the, the, the buzz of the show. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and Cyberpunk's way up there for me, too. But, like, this just made my, my jaw drop in a way that um, just because of the aesthetic choices on, on yeah. display. I love it. Beautiful. All right, my pick is, surprise, surprise, <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. I saw an hour-long demo of this game yesterday. Yeah. I was also counting on you to pick that. Of so course, I, so yeah. I do. And I will say that this trailer does not do the game justice, mm -hmm. Matt. It, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm giddy talking about Cyberpunk 2077. It is, I would say in my estimation, the best-looking video game I've ever seen with my own two eyes. It is... Incredible, absolutely incredible looking. What struck me the most and hit me the hardest whenever I was watching the demo was the first time you go into the city. Mm -hmm. And there's like this Times Square-ish area that you go into and it is just flooded with NPCs. And you think about games like this typically, open world games with a big draw distance and with lots of NPCs. They're always like robotic. And if you actually like kind of follow one around, inevitably they'll do like the whole heel turn thing and like, and they're robotic. Every NPC in this game is doing something and it means something. Something that tells a story about Absolutely. Them. And you can stop and you can listen into like two characters talking to each other, three characters. And it's not like they're just standing there with this like blank stare on their face mm. or where, you know, like just doing these generic animations where they're moving their hands and they're all animated and they're all talking and they're all, it's amazing. I don't even know how to describe how awesome this game looks, Matt. It is like uh, the weapons in the game. The weapons in this game are insane. Like they have we one weapon that you can, you, you can use bank shots. Literally, you can shoot any object and bank it like a pool ball mm -hmm. at the enemy. Uh, there's another gun that has like heat sinking bullets but they're these crazy like uh, phosphorus charge shots that are almost like little mini comets that will curve around architecture. And dude, this game is so awesome. I, uh, I actually have something from that demo that I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I recorded, we weren't allowed to take any video or any still images of the demo, but I recorded the entire audio from the demo, all 50 minutes of it. And so I'm trying to figure out what I can do with that. Like I could just put the trailer on loop for 50 minutes and just let people listen to it. Like it's almost like a podcast maybe, but there's so like the, the, them giving the demo. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but, and there are moments there's like stretches where it'll go a minute and all you just hear is gunfire before mm -hmm. the guy will say anything again. So maybe in the comments for this episode, when we archive it, let me know what you guys would want me to do with that. Uh, I recorded it on my iPhone X. Uh, and I haven't listened to it yet. I don't know how good the audio quality is, but I was pretty close to the speaker. You should be able to hear him pretty clearly. Uh, so just let me know what you guys would want me to do with it, and I'll do that with it. But, um, oh, the character models, dude, there's tons of nudity in this as well. <laughs> like the demo starts yeah, at the beginning. Cyberpunk. Yeah, the demo starts at the beginning of the game, and you pick two characters. You can pick a male or a female to play as. Um, and uh, there's lots of nudity in the game, and, I, and the character models, even when naked, are quite impressive. Um, 
I don't know. I could go on about this game's graphics. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, so I'll just close it off there. Uh, it's the best-looking video game I've ever seen. I'll, I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. There's just... And I don't know. I'm assuming they were running it on some crazy PC. Yeah. Um, it, it, it definitely wasn't running on PS4. It's interesting that they've changed to uh, Unreal. Yeah. From the Red Engine. Yeah. I, I presume because Unreal is kind of more suited for a shooter yeah. scenario. Like, whereas the Red Engine was more built for a... Like a like a third person adventure-y kind of thing. Probably, but it was I'm it was I'm assuming it was running on like a beastly PC. Yeah, of course it was. Um, and there there were a couple anomalies. Like there was a couple times where I saw like uh, the detail on a building like pop in. A little proof that it's real. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. That is good. It is proof that it's real. Uh, so it's not perfect yet, and obviously it's a long ways away. It but won't be perfect when it comes. No, back. it's, it's open CD world Project games Red. never are. Yeah, but they come real close sometimes. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I want to talk more about, about that game later on, so I'm going to close it off there. But yeah, in my opinion, the best-looking game at E3 2018. All right, so move on to best first-person shooter. Mm -hmm. um, the, by the, the way... Pickens were a little slim on this yeah, one, I yeah. thought. By the way, if you don't know, Cyberpunk is a first-person shooter. It's, it's more first-person shooter than RPG when you talk about like the combat. It's, uh, the enemies aren't really bullet sponges. It's not mm. like Destiny or anything like that where you have to shoot a guy for like a week to kill him. Like, it really is just like a first-person shooter, except it has all the RPG systems underneath it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm figuring it's going to be something in the, kind of in the Mass Effect vein where there's a lot of discussion and talking and decisions and choices, and although it's going to matter more, it seems like, in this. Dude, the, the, the way a mission can branch is insane. Again, oh, I, I want to hold this stuff for later to talk about it, but, but yeah, it's... Uh, but the gun, the gunplay, the gameplay itself, it, mm -hmm. it's like a first-person shooter. Yeah, well, it's not like it's like you can't, don't expect it to be like Fallout, where like no. you're vatsing constantly no, no, because no, no, the no. gunplay doesn't work properly. You know? No, this is legit first-person shooter yeah. gunplay. So I almost honestly picked Cyberpunk 2077 as best first-person shooter. I thought yeah. about it, but I didn't want to have that argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I actually felt like giving this game some love. Me too. Yep. So we actually picked the same yep. game for this one, and that is Rage, Rage 2. 2. Uh, my opinion, hands down, the best first-person yeah. shooter there. It also has the this benefit is, of... This is also almost one of my ups. Yeah. Yeah, the game is pretty freaking sweet. Uh, the demo that they had playable there was a little weird because all the trailers showed this open world, like get in the Doom buggy and have vehicular combat battles. Mm -hmm. The demo that I played in Bethesda's booth was literally all indoors in this, like, facility... <laughs> And then at the very end, you come to where you can see the door opening, and you can see the desert out there, mm. and it ends. This, like, massive thing comes down from the sky yeah. and plants in the desert. It's probably, like, the tutorial. And then the demo closes. Maybe? So I don't it seemed, know. It seemed really early. So all I really got to experience was the gunplay, and oh, wow. Like, I started thinking about the other shooters. It's, like, uh, Black Ops 4 or Battlefield 5. Mm -hmm. They're all just, they're exactly what you expect them to be. This game can be played in myriad different ways. I mean, you can just stay on the ground if you want to, because you have the firepower to do that. But it really starts to get interesting when you start using the, the double jump that you have, like you're seeing right now. It completely changes the way the game plays. And the cool part about it, too, is the enemies use it. They also have kind of jump packs uh, that gives the whole game just this unpredictable nature to it. Not as unpredictable as the first one. That's one thing I would say. The AI in this is not up to the standards of the first game as far as like, what are they gonna do? I have no idea. Cause they would do crazy stuff like run up the walls and like get on top of like a railing and like run along the railing. Like they don't do anything like that in this one, although maybe eventually they will, but for right now they don't. 
but the gunplay and the combat just feels so good, and it's so different than any other shooter that was at the show that I just had to give it the award. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, way more expansive than I thought it was going to be, and it's actually, the funny thing is, like, of all the games that aren't making it this year, this one maybe disappoints me the most, because yeah. I really would have liked to have played that sooner rather than later. Yeah. Like, I'm not expecting it to be, like, a mind-blowing, like, artistic experience, but it sure looks like fun. It is fun. Did you not get to play it? I did not get to play it. Yeah, it's a blast. Even though I wasn't outside, like, doing, you know, the stuff I thought I was going to be doing, I had a ton of fun playing it. Um, easily the best first-person shooter I played at the show, and I did play... Black Ops 4. Mm. I walked up at the Sony booth and just, there was nobody waiting for it. No, no I walked one. right up and played Black Ops 4 in Sony's booth. If you want to play Black Ops 4, the new Destiny expansion, the, uh, the Sony booth was right there you for you. You could walk right up. Yeah. And meanwhile, just, you know, in the other hall, if you went over to Activision's oh, booth, Activision's, yeah. you had to wait like two hours to play yeah. either one of them. So, yeah, I think Sony like ran everybody off out of its booth. And then that hooked us up if we wanted to actually play like Black Ops 4 or Destiny. Yeah. Rage 2 is also single player focused, which yeah. earns a bonus for me. Yeah, you're not a big multiplayer shooter no. guy. All right, let's move on to best indie game of E3 2018. Matt, what was your pick? Uh, my pick was uh, Neo Cab, which um, there's there are actually a couple like a kind of story-driven, like, Uber driver, driver games. Uh, yeah, like, 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 like ride-sharing uh, games. But I thought this, I like the look of this one. Um, you, kind of, you play the last or one of the last, like, human, like, basically cab or, or Uber drivers left in a future city. So this actually could be happening, like, two years from now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the shift in, in fashion would be pretty impressive in that amount of time. But, yeah, you're, you're not... You're, you're 20 minutes in the future, as they say, and um, basically it kind of it's a it's a it starts as sort of a like a cab driving sim, but it very quickly becomes like through overhearing and meeting your passengers, it becomes sort of a uh, like a noirish uh, like mystery thing, and um, in a world in a world in a world where <laughs> and maybe some of it is just because I'm all up on the cyberpunk because of cyberpunk right now, but like. Uh, in a world where so many of those indie games like kind of all look similar, yeah. uh, this one really jumped out at me. Uh, this one and um, there was another one. There was a black and white noir one that I, I looked at hard I too, which was somehow. Night something, Night City or Night something like something like that. And I can't. It was on Sifted, but like I saw the trailer, but there was no really any other information about it. Uh -huh. That looked cool, but um, this one I just—it's very visually appealing to me, and I'm intrigued by sort of the premise. And uh, at this point, like indie games, like I feel like there you are hitting a point where uh, indie games can feel samey. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, it's any like how many more roguelikes do we need right. at this point? It's like how many? How many? It's like I've seen a lot of voxels yes. in, my, in my time. Voxels boys. and roguelikes. That's yeah. pretty much the indie scene right now. So if you can give me something that makes me go, oh, I haven't, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Yeah. Like uh, you get my attention, and I think uh, NeoCab. Uh, Neocab kind of held my imagination the best of anything they showed this year. Okay. My pick is Generation Zero. So notice how Microsoft snatched up the uh, Hellblade developer mm -hmm. after it created the AAA indie. That's exactly what Avalanche is doing with uh, Generation Zero. It's a cooperative shooter where you play with three other players and you go out into the wilderness and hunt gigantic robots. Um, 
I did not get to play this myself. I did watch somebody else play it at the show. Uh, so I, I have not had hands-on experience with it. But this game, you would never guess, is an indie game. It is being self-published. And I suspect that Avalanche has done this. It's the Just Cause team. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that Avalanche... Avalanche is kind of blowing up right it now. It kind of is. And I suspect that Avalanche has done this. It's going to self-publish this game because it also wants to get purchased. Buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. I think yeah. it saw what happened with Ninja Theory. And it's like, you know what? Ninja Theory bit the bullet and self-published a game and probably got all its money back because it was a great game. And if we do this and our game is great and it does well, maybe we get snatched up by some publisher and we all cash in. Did, they, did no one do that already? Do what? I felt like Avalanche was going to get bought by somebody. Not that I'm aware of. Hmm. That would throw my theory into a tizzy. Some, I get confused because there's another Avalanche there in Salt Lake that got shut down, I guess. Yeah, the one in Salt Lake did like um, the Toys to Life stuff. Yeah, they did and Disney, back in Disney the day, Infinity. And... Back in the day, it did like snowboarding games. Yeah. I actually interviewed at that place way, way, way back in the day and went to Salt Lake. And once I saw Salt Lake, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm moving here. No offense to anyone in Salt Lake. It's just not some place that I wanted to live. This is the avalanche that does Just Cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suspect that this is all a play by Avalanche to try to get snatched up, get paid um, out. And yeah, they, they, got, they got built, bought by Nordisk Film this year. Nordisk Film? Nordisk. A Danish entertainment company. Really? Well, I guess that does throw my theory all to crap. I had no idea about that. Wow, I thought that they were still their uh, an own private company. So there you go. Uh, but this is a AAA indie. I, that makes me wonder why it would do this. Um... I don't know, to have a property that they, that's theirs, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess Ninja Theory did it without knowing that they were going to get snatched up eventually. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, maybe they're just trying to build their own publishing arm or something yeah, like that. I mean, or, you know, they make open-world explosive games all the time. Maybe they want to make one that they weren't taking orders on. Possible. Yeah. But uh, the game plays really well, looks really well, or looks really good. Um, it's hard to believe that it's an indie game if you look at it. It looks like something that you would buy for oh, 60 Oh, chat bucks. says Nordisk is THQ Nordic. Oh, THQ Nordic owns Avalanche? Nordic Games bought THQ and became THQ Nordic, and I guess they just bought them this year. But how are they letting them, letting Square Enix publish games then? Probably because those contracts are already in place. Uh, you have to finish your contracts. That's interesting. That's a twist. We'll see where Avalanche goes after this. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm surprised that THQ Nordic had the cash to buy... That studio. That's surprising to me. THQ Nordic has a lot of money. Like I don't know where it came from, but that that they they bought a ton of stuff and they're they're chugging along. They have no hits. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Well, they've been around for a few years now. I mean, they've been they, around ever since Sifted. They launched. brought an expansion to Titan Titan Quest out yeah. out of nowhere. I mean, those, I mean, I'm not arguing with them. I've, I've, I'm happy with some of the stuff they've done. I just yeah. don't know where they're getting the money for it. But. Yep. Uh, but this does. I mean, you look at that game. It doesn't look like an indie game. No, not at all. It's not like a 2D side-scrolling whatever with pixels and voxels and. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, Hellblade's so, a good comparison there. Yeah, so Hellblade is started changing what indie games can, could be, and I think this is kind of the next step towards that. So that's my favorite indie game of E3 2018. And you have an honorable mention for this category. I do. Um, honorable mention because, really, it was just a trailer. They just announced it. They didn't, nobody went into any detail on it, but it's a game called Beyond Blue uh, by, the, uh, by the same developers that made Never Alone. Uh, that yep. uh, the Inuit uh, game with the girl and the and the little wolf cub. 
Yeah, which had probably got more critical acclaim than commercial acclaim. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but this is an underwater exploration game, and I love those. It's a survival um, game, too. Yep. And, uh, you know, very pretty, some, you know, really scary, dark underwater stuff, as, long as, some, like, as well as some beautiful, like, whales and sharks and this kind of thing. It takes place in kind of the near future, and you're supposed to be exploring to try to figure out some, some thing. They're, they're vague about it. But uh, as a fan of Eternal Blue and Subnautica and all that kind of stuff, like, this is instantly on my radar, and I felt like it's been a little ignored because it was, you know, it was announced a few days in 83. It wasn't yeah. really highlighted in anything, so I wanted to mention it just so people knew it existed. Yeah, you're the leader of a research team, mm -hmm. um, and then things go wrong, and then you have to kind of pull everything together and help you and your team survive at the bottom yeah. of the ocean. But the point is you're going to scan whales. Yep. And that, yeah. is, what, and that is what I'm here for. <laughs> Awesome. All right, let's move on to best role-playing game or best RPG in its truncated form. This is another category where we both agree, and I'm guessing probably everyone out there knows already what we're going to say, Yeah. and that is Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk 2077. 2077. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and here now I'll talk about quests, or at least a qu one mm. of the quests that they showed us and how different they can play out and how different they can be. So... You start out, you're kind of a, a mercenary, but you're doing all these small gigs. You're not making any money, and you're dealing with like street thugs. You get a call from, uh, I guess, a mob boss would be the best way to describe him. And he's talking about this big job that he needs pulled off. And he's like, I need this droid from this group that nobody wants anything to do with because they're all insane and they've all been over augmented and they're really dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, but he tells you, you need to go talk to, essentially, the authorities because they can get you into their location and can get you the funds that you need in order to buy this robot, this droid. So you go and you meet with the authorities and they give you this chip card that's supposed to have 50,000 credits on it. Like, the currency in the game is called Eddies, mm -hmm. which they say is short for Euros, but... I didn't, quite <laughs> I didn't quite understand that. But anyway, she gives you a card that has 50,000 Eddies on it. And so you go, and part of the, the demo is you making the trek over to meet these guys, and that's where you kind of get to see the Grand Theft Auto type stuff as far as driving the cars and driving through the city and the open world and all that. And then you get there, and uh, you infiltrate this group's hideout. And you go through a bunch of strife I'm not going to get into. Once you finally get in there, you meet with a guy, and uh, you tell him you're looking for a droid. They're, they're insane. They're all like over augmented. Mm -hmm. Everyone has these little slots behind their ear where you put what looks like a thumb drive into it. And the thumb drive gives you powers and abilities and all this kind of stuff. And everybody has it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you go in there. And also, inhalants are a big part of the game. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, you have these little like a lot, almost... of these, a lot of these elements are taken from the old pen and paper game. That's what so I figured. Like they're, they're, they're simulating kind of that. I think. Uh... Uh, you can kind of pick some archetypes for your character, and three of the, there are three of them are from the original classes from the original Cyberpunk game. Like, yeah. there's a lot of nods. Uh, there's some there's some speculation they might add in DLC more classes later, um, which would fit. But yeah, some of it, I'm interested to see kind of in the end how they update a lot of how cyber because a lot of the stuff in the old cyber 80 Cyberpunk pen and paper RPG is sort of behind our tech now. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like, um, <laughs> it's crazy. We'll, we'll see how they, how they kind of modernize that a little bit. But uh, yeah, some, some of like the inhalants and stuff. Are just yeah, they're because, almost like an asthma inhaler. And yeah. you use those and that will like affect your vision and all kinds mm -hmm. of other stuff. And like he gives you one of those and you're kind of getting 
comfortable like hanging out with this guy and then everybody else kind of comes in mm. and like the leader comes in and he's like what are these people doing here and you explain you're trying to buy a droid and you have 50,000 credits or whatever after some persuasion you uh finally convince him to accept the payment for the droid and you give him the card that the authorities gave you he takes the card to check how much money is in it and you've been set up the authorities have put mm. essentially a virus on the card so that when this group plugs right. it into their machine, it hacks all their shit. Yeah, it kills one of them. And then yeah. everything just goes haywire. And it just turns into this crazy battle. So after they finish the demo, they explain that there are like four or five different ways mm -hmm. you can approach it. Like you could use your own money. You can decline the card from the authorities if you want. And you can just use your own money that you've already earned in the game and go buy it. Mm -hmm. You can take the card from them. You can go there and you can tell the guy, hey, this card is hacked. When you put it in, it's going to hack your stuff. And then you will join up with them and you two go after the authorities then. There's all these different scenarios of how you can handle everything. Um, and that to me, since we're talking about best RPG, I thought that was probably yeah. the best example to bring up of how it is an RPG. Yeah, that and the, um, I mean, obviously the various, up like there's the scene in the, uh, where you go to the upgrade doctor, yeah, and he takes your eye out, yep, and like uh, and like and gives you like a like a crazy zoom vision, yeah. But like when when he take like you see, like when he takes the eye out, like the, the 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 perspective of the game goes with the eye, yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah it I'd, shows you what would happen if somebody took your eyeball yeah. out, yeah, <laughs> a little bit a little out of body action. It, the whole game is it's just it was an hour of stuff like mm -hmm. that, Matt, where it was just one thing after another where you're just like, what? No yeah. freaking way. I mean, that's that's how CD Projekt Red rolls. Uh, yeah, The Witcher Three demos were like that. They're very long. I think the like two years before Witcher 3 came out, I think the demo was like an hour long, 50, 40, 40 to 40 to 60 minute, minutes long. And they went through a whole hunting quest and did all that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. They are they are on the cutting edge of what it means to to present RPG content in in a way that no one else is doing it. Yeah. No so, other RPG at E3 was even close. This, no. this game won this category running away. Like what would be down. other... I mean, there's not even my head. There's Destiny yeah. 2. I mean, there's some JRPGs that were there. Does Kingdom Hearts count? I mean, Shadow of the Tomb Raider is an action RPG. Yeah, it's an action RPG. But it what is an action RPG at this point? Almost every, it's becoming just the genre of video yeah. games. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Kingdom Hearts, in some ways, is an action RPG. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely an action RPG. So, yeah, there was some competition, but not really. Uh, let's move on to best VR game. Boy, VR is looking a little, a little light, light on the ground this year. <laughs> oh I mean, boy. stuff's still coming. Yeah. But like, when it comes down, like, pick the best thing. You're like, mm, like you're tempted to just bunt and say Beat Saber. You know, yeah. Which is already out. There just wasn't much VR there. It's like the last few E3s, pretty much every publisher would have a little section outside of their booze where they'd have like a roped off area where people could try whatever they were working on for VR. And they had it out there, so it would get people to come into the booth. They'd walk up and mm -hmm. see somebody doing the VR thing and be like, oh, that's cool, and then stumble into the booth. That's all gone. Right. There's none of that at E3 anymore. There was hardly any VR at E3, period. Like, if you walked into Bethesda's booth- Certainly not on the booth, floor. Yeah, if you walked to the Bethesda's booth, Bethesda supported VR at E3 extensively. And it had the same setup it has always had those weird like almost sliding glass door mm -hmm. like columns or whatever they were like and which and, were vr rooms right and they are still 
Yeah. But there's nobody in there. Mm. Like, just no one cares. But if you want to go into the Fallout rooms, yeah. that's a line. Yeah. But there's nothing in and there. And the Sony VR section, because I'm on the, kind of on the back of their booth almost. Like, I didn't even see it the first time I walked the through Ghost Town. Total Ghost Town. There were probably... It's the same setup that Sony has had for the last two years, where they have, mm. like, little rooms. There's, like, 20 of them. Of those 20 rooms, probably three of them had people actually in them, like, playing yeah. VR games. Like, and it, there was a time when it was, like, a five-hour wait. Oh, yeah. To get, All to get full to with lines for each one of the rooms. And like, now there's nobody. The wind just has nobody. definitely shifted. And I thought it was interesting. So, um... I guess I should say my pick before I get into this because yeah, it's related. Yeah. Uh, so my pick is Stormland, yep. which is Insomniac's uh, new game. Oculus exclusive. Oculus exclusive. Um, it, now the and like they did a trailer and now they dropped a trailer for it. But if you wanted to see like you know more in in depth gameplay uh, at the E3 Coliseum, uh, uh, Ted Price, head of Insomniac, did a thing with uh, Jason Rubin, who's the head of content, I think, at Oculus. He's basically, um, yeah, he's the head of their of getting content, of getting on Oculus, getting yeah. stuff on the Oculus, yep. basically. And they talked a lot about because um, you know Insomniac's been supporting uh, Oculus since the beginning, um, and because uh, they're bros, yeah, and uh, and also because Insomniac, like you know, Ted talked a lot about how uh, they appreciate Insomniac likes the challenge of having you know like back when they were developing Ratchet, they were trying to figure out how to do a 3D platformer with you know they had nothing to work from basically except Mario 64, yeah. right, and trying to figure out how to do that in different ways. And Ruben was at um, Naughty Dog at the time doing Jack and Daxter, so they were kind of they were kind of on that same frontier together. Well, Mark and Cerny also was kind of the linchpin between those studios. Yeah, he was the tech guy, and he would just he would live in L.A. and he would just go back and forth between <laughs> the studios, basically saying, "Hey, we just discovered this yesterday at Insomniac mm -hmm. of how we can do this on PlayStation 2." Then he'd go over to Naughty Dog and say, "Hey, we just discovered how to this new coding thing that we're doing over there," and it made all boats mm -hmm. rise essentially. And uh, so they talked about uh, kind of the challenge of going from developing, you know, kind of being the masters of, he didn't say it like that, but he basically yeah. was like, we're the masters of console development of what we do, and now we have to kind of learn everything over again doing VR, and that's exciting. And I get that. And Ruben talked about, I thought this was interesting, that Ruben talked about how this is, Stormland is interesting because it was pitched to him by Insomniac when they first came to them with Oculus. And, he, and Ruben said to them, that's awesome. There's no way you can do that first. <laughs> like it's it's you know yeah. it's going to take you a long time to make, and we need stuff now. So this is sort of the culmination of a three-year development cycle. And and Ruben was talking about how uh, it's cool that um, you know now we're starting to see stuff that has been in, you know, as opposed to the, the kind of the shorter experiences that were there for launch that were it took a year, and then the second wave of like stuff that took more like two years. Now you're seeing the stuff people have been working on for three years. Because uh, a lot of people like kind of tiered projects, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And this Makes is sense. this is a full open world adventure game where you're flat. You have a you play as this android. That you is play a, as Wally. Yeah, <laughs> Wally with legs, and his job. He's a gardener in this world where he's supposed to take take care of uh, you know, the plants and stuff. But like you, uh, you end up having to venture into these these stormlands uh, where. Um, Robots and storms don't go so well together. You no, think. <laughs> but uh, apparently, he, apparently he has to do it, and he uh, it, it, there's a lot of climbing, uh, and there's a lot of gliding. You can glide like slipstream through clouds and stuff. So you you fly around and climb up stuff with the motion controllers, and um, there's some shooting. There's it's basically it's, you know it's an open world kind of exploration adventure shooter game, and you. It's play the it. best looking VR game I've ever seen. Absolutely, and not it's, even um, close. 
And it's the kind of game I would play if it wasn't VR. Absolutely. You know? yeah. so, so I'm kind of more interested in that regard. The thing that I thought of when I was watching this, that, that little presentation was when he's talking about how it's a three-year game. Was, so has anyone started a three-year game this year? What did he say? I, I mean, I didn't ask him. Oh, oh, I, I was I thought, watching it. Oh, okay. I thought maybe somebody... But I thought it. when I was thinking, because of, of how, like, the, the... I'm guessing no. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> I'm wondering if Insomniac has another three-year game in the cycle here, and I'm wondering if the answer is maybe, maybe I not. I mean, Insomniac's last two games for Oculus yeah. didn't do squat. So you can see so. here, there's the gliding, and, uh, you know, in, in it doesn't look too exciting here, but in VR, it's pretty great. I'm sure. It made and, me barf. Uh, you have all you have, you have stuff like your inventory. So all your inventory stuff is on your belt. So you have to like kind of reach down and grab it. There's a really cool thing at the end of one of the one of the gameplay trailers where somebody throws a grenade at, at you and you catch it and th like sling it back at them. And I'm like, that's awesome for and VR. Absolutely. For VR, that's a great. That's yeah. a that's a cool because that's an actual test of your hand and reflexes. Yeah. Um, you can play co-op with someone. Uh, they were talking about how with the motion stuff, it's interesting because. Um, you can, if you're playing with someone you know well, if you're playing like a friend of yours, uh, you can tell who it is because of how they move. Wow. And how he was like, J I know Jason, I know he walks a certain way, and I know he turns his head a certain way, and I see that in his Android when we're playing together. I wow. can tell who it is. <laughs> and I'm like, funny. that's a cool thing. And there's yeah. a whole thing about like, they're going to keep updating it, and there'll be new challenges. Like, you can, it's, it seems like kind of like almost like a. A living, like product. a living MMO kind of you know post game like Destiny where it's like go back to the places you've been but there's new challenges and new things to do and yeah. you get get better loot or whatever. Um, I mean, it's not going to set the world on fire probably. Um, Nothing does. But in VR. terms of something that would actually make me drag the headset out and put it on again, like this felt like something that could do that. Okay, my pick is Astrobot Rescue Mission. I was very thankful that nobody was mm -hmm. in the PlayStation VR area in Sony's booth. <laughs> I was able to walk right up and play this mm -hmm. game. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the full game based upon Playroom VR, which mm -hmm. is a free demo you can still download. The little if you the have one, PlayStation one demo VR. in it. If there was one thing they were going to make into a full game out of that, this is this. it. And they did. And it's even better than that mini game was on. Uh, mm -hmm. At the launch and of that, PlayStation VR, that mini game is still one of the best things I've ever played in VR. It's if when people come over to check out my PlayStation VR, it is what I put in my drive hmm. or what I boot up. It's actually a digital game, and people freak out because it's. I think one thing is nobody gets sick playing it because mm. essentially the camera is it's still sort of floating there. You're just yeah. kind of planted in the middle of the world, and then everything is displayed in relation to where you are. Mm -hmm. And it literally feels like you are in this world. And the game before was very simple. The levels were really small. Um, you didn't have to move around too much. This one, the worlds are just like any regular 3D platformer. But you're still getting that crazy immersion uh, of VR from it. And you know, I'm a big 3D platformer guy. It's a no-brainer for me to pick his best VR game. I have a feeling this will end up being probably the best-selling uh, VR game for PlayStation VR, save for maybe Resident Evil, you know, seven, seven which yeah. you know, it's not just a VR game. This I don't know if you could even play this if you if it's not in VR. But uh, I had a ton of fun playing it. The demo was great. The immersion was great. It it is advanced over the Playroom VR demo. Um, you can use the move controllers. Back then, it's like they didn't mm. even incorporate the move controllers into PlayStation VR yet. So it is advanced a little bit over that demo. Far more robust. Uh, they, they said it's at least like 12 hours long, so it's a big, beefy game. Uh, I was really impressed with it.
So, um, and then I actually have an honorable mention for this one. And my honorable mention for best VR game is Creed Rise to Glory. Uh, if you guys have watched Game Face for any amount of time or Invisible Walls or followed me at all, you know that I'm a huge Punch-Out guy. And uh, this is basically Punch-Out for VR. Uh, Matt had mentioned before we recorded today that he's not a fan of the art style, and I would agree with that. Um, I think they could do a better job of making the characters a little more distinctive. But what really hooked me on this game is the gameplay. Mm -hmm. um, what really impressed me about the gameplay was that they were using the move controllers on PlayStation VR to demo this, and you still had that great one-to-one -one control with the move controllers and your punches. The other part of it, too, is that it is an insane workout. You have to keep your hands up at all times. And people may not realize, people may say, oh, you got to keep your hands up. Keeping your hands up is hard. You get tired really quickly. And uh, the action, I was sweating when I was done with this. I actually walked by, and it kind of caught out of the corner of my eye. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's, one, it's a VR game. Two, it was a VR game that had a line like going all the way outside of the mm. booth. And I was like, okay, what's up with this thing? This seemed to be one of the only VR games at the show that made any kind of waves. Yep. And uh, I kind of sauntered up, and one of the developers noticed I had a media badge. And he just grabbed me and kicked, <laughs> kicked the... I felt bad. He kicked like somebody out and uh, let me start playing it. And I was really, really impressed with it. The feeling of the punches coming at you, you do not want to get hit by the punches. <laughs> like, so you seriously are scared. You're like, oh my gosh, it's going to break my nose. Um, so the immersion is great. The one-to-one -one controls, even with PlayStation VR, which is not one of its strengths, was great. Uh, so I can't even imagine what this is going to be like on Vive or Oculus, mm -hmm. where you have like the touch controllers or whatever, where it's just deadly accurate. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of Punch-Out. This is kind of like Punch-Out VR to me. Uh, I had a ton of fun with it. Got a workout. I'm actually kind of looking for VR games that I can get a workout out of. This is definitely one of them. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that for those of you who still have PlayStation VR. You're like, man, I'm not doing anything with this. It's a great option if you're looking to get a workout or if you're just really into sports or boxing games. So, and there aren't too many boxing games anymore. There aren't, especially for VR. So, yeah, I highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, let's see. Next is best action adventure. The industry's mm -hmm. dying genre. These yeah. are the games that are that are left that have not moved over to action RPGs yet. Yeah, and I mean, even even my pick might be Edge. edge it is case. getting edgy. Yeah. So, what um, is your pick? So, my pick is Marvel Spider-Man. Yep. Um, one of the last true action-adventure yeah, games left. Uh, and I mean, I will still see, uh, I mean, there's probably some upgrading and, yeah. some, and some skill it's learning and them, some, yeah. you know. Slippery slope. But nobody's nobody's popping uh, XP out of their heads when no, you punch them yet, so I think yet. we're safe. Um, I mean, I've talked about this game kind of ad nauseum yeah. for a year. Um, it's Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. I love comic books and superhero open world stuff. Um, it looks great. You already said a lot of the main positives about it yeah. uh, in your up-down. Um, it looks even better this year. Uh, I'm impressed by how many damn villains are in the thing. Yeah. Like, and they say there's still more to come. Like they haven't shown everything. A lot of people thought like the whole um, game was spoiled. Oh, no. Here's it. A lot of people were complaining that like the the raft breakout. They thought that was like, why did you show us the end of the game? It's like yeah. I promise you, that is the tutorial. That is the beginning of the game. Like I promise you, because that's taken almost, it's taken directly from uh, Michael Bendis's uh, Brian Michael Bendis's uh, new New Avengers comic. It's the first issue. It's the very first thing that happens. Electro is paid to break out um, uh, Sauron, actually, of all characters, out of the raft, and he frees everybody to do it. So the chaos lets them escape. 
Um, in that, he's actually paid to do it by Electra, who's disguised as a Skrull. I'm pretty sure that's not what's happening here, <laughs> um, because Electra would be a totally different license. Um, but uh, I'm, I feel like you probably go through a little tutorial, and then this happens, and you get up to the part where he's like, wait, you? And then it cuts like two weeks earlier. Yeah. And you like have to play through the game. You know, it's Uncharted 2 style. You have to Working play through the game to, to get point. back to that point. Yeah. And then you find it. And they, you know, or it could be a little earlier where it's like everybody breaks out, and the rest of the game is hunting down all these major villains and putting them away again. Yep. But uh, I'm pretty sure they did not just ruin the end of the Which game. Which actually reminds everybody. me a lot of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> or... Um, uh, man, now I can't remember. I mean, but that was the plot of, uh, of the original New Avengers story. Is like the breakout was the setup, and figuring out what happened, who did it, and how to get everybody back in jail was sort of was the, the, experience. The, the plot of the main story. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening here. But well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it wasn't an up or down for me because I was super excited, and I'm still super excited, and it's right around the corner. Um, it looks great, and we got to see open world stuff really kind of yep. played by a non-experienced demo. You know, we'd seen it played by, by Insomniac people. Yeah. We hadn't played it, seen it. You know, I watched plenty of just random people playing it on the, on the floor, and, and it makes you look good. It does, um, yeah. But you can tell people are doing whatever they want. They're playing it freely. Yeah. It's not a scripted web-slinging nope. thing. It's all, it's all there. There's some skill-driven stuff to it. I mean, you're not going to struggle to get through it, I think, but you can definitely get better at it. Oh, absolutely. And, and, uh, and absolutely. Swing, around, swing around and make yourself look cool and feel more like Spider-Man the more you adjust to the system. So. Control's really intuitive, yeah. too. It's just the R2 trigger is pretty much all you use to swing around. So, yeah, it was mostly just a really good reinforcement of my uh, po already positive... Existing Existing position. positive position on the game. Yep. So. Uh, and I picked the only other action-adventure game at <laughs> E3, and that's the Resident Evil 2 remake. Uh, I played a 20 minute, well I didn't play, I watched a 20 minute demo being played. Um, it starts basically right from the beginning where you come into the mansion. Mm -hmm. um, and so you get to see several of the iconic scenes from the beginning of Resident Evil 2. But also that 20 minutes gives you a great cross section of everything. Um, you get plenty of gunplay, there's at least like 10 or 15 zombies that you get to fight. There's puzzle solving, there's clues, there's herbs, there's typewriters. <laughs> It, I mean, they still have typewriters Man. for saving in the game. Who's, who's going to even know what those are? Anymore? I know. <laughs> wait, wait until some of these noobs try to have to find like a ribbon so they can save. Ink ribbons. <laughs> Talk about uh, YouTube react videos when these people yeah. realize that they have to find something to save their game. Um, That's going to be like one of like the... The, like the, the trivia points and like the did you know game. It's like, did you know that people actually typed on these things yeah, yeah. in the past before? It's like, that'll be like a trivia point where like, did you, are, can you believe that people used to listen to records? Yeah. The other thing I would say too is that lighting, lighting is probably the biggest change to this remake mm -hmm. other than the polygonal graphics that look freaking amazing. Things go black. They go black. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, you can't see anything. Like your screen is just completely blank. And you just start stumbling around at times just trying to find one little sliver of light that you can walk towards. And the game works Such off as. of it. Well, right. <laughs> Eventually you do get a flashlight though. Mm -hmm. um, but at first it's like, it's literally like you're blind and you're trying to find one little patch of light to walk towards, but the game sets you up. So it's like you walk towards that little spot of light and next thing you know, a zombie attacks or whatever and you have to deal with that. So, um, if any of you have never played Resident Evil 2, I, I envy you. I really wish that I could play this all over again for the first time, but it looks like the changes are so drastic. I feel this would be pretty close to it. Yeah. I mean, also, I haven't played that game in probably 
18 years. I know, so. it's crazy to think about. So I'm really, really excited for this game. Uh, for me, it was the easy pick for action adventure. Uh, I am, you know, mm. again, RE4 is my favorite Resident Evil. This plays like RE4. Uh, none of that Resident Evil 5 or Resident Evil 6 business coming up in this. I was worried. Yeah, you're probably, you're was probably like, not going to be punching boulders in no. into shards in this one. <laughs> Definitely not. I think it was a smart decision by Capcom, and I'm very no, this happy is, with it. This is exactly, I think, how they need, they should have gone about it. Yep. I'm very I'm very happy with what we see. Yep, so there you go. There's our, our picks for best action adventure. We may not even have this category next year, if there is a next year. Uh, next up is best strategy game. Mm -hmm. This one was a little light on the ground yes. in some ways. There and, were three um, games, essentially, to choose yeah. from. And uh, so the one I picked uh, was mainly because I went back to kind of look at everything again to make sure, to, to kind of say, well, what is it? Da, da. And um, I hovered, I hovered around the gears thing, but there's just not enough. Yeah, I don't know enough about that yet. Yeah. So I went with Fire Emblem Three Houses, and the main reason for this is because in the trailer, it's a Fire we, Emblem game. It's because of Fire Emblem <laughs> game. It helps this Fire Emblem game, but there's there's two main things. First. When you see when you watch the trailer, you can see that like the options are very different. Yeah. So I'm inter you know, There's the two things that stood out. There's like magic and attack are different, um, different options. And usually it's just like you just attack with whatever weapon, and that's the kind of attack you get. Yeah. So that's a change. Um, and the other thing is there's a formation button. And what that is for is that if you you see in the trailer that um, when it when it goes to time to attack. There's like generic soldiers around your hero characters, whereas usually in Fire Emblem it's just the heroes right. sol like solo kind of battling things out, and you see them kind of ordering their soldiers forward in formation and stuff like to to like weaken the other side, and then they go in they, the generals kind of go in and fight, right. and that is straight out of Dragon Force, which yeah. is one of my favorite Saturn games, one of my favorite games of all time, period. And if Fire Emblem, which is already a series I really like, and, and if you you know, the, it also shows they're bringing in kind of the castle building and sort of the explore like the the on foot exploration stuff from from uh, Fates, and uh, I think was that Fates? Was no, it Shadows the, the skirmishes of the Nino Kuni too are kind of like this too. Yeah, where yeah, you have your little bit. armies and you set the formation. You have to be strategic about which guys you put in the front of your formation, yeah. and which guys are in the back. But this is like like the the old Dragon Force. If you want, like look up videos of it where like you're seeing you've got your main guy and they guys go charge and like yeah. all these guys you know, and it's like it's like a paper rock scissors thing where like dragons beat everybody actually uh, for archer, <laughs> archers beat soldiers cavalry beats archers you know that kind of thing yeah um and then at the end like the two generals sort of have a have a like turn-based showdown and if they're going to combine that stuff with like what's already good about fire emblem i am in right now so it's like, uh, early next year is early that right? yes it's spring 2019 i think yeah i'm surprised so, that it's not coming out I think a lot of people expected it this year. It would have been a nice addition to kind of round out the 2018 schedule, but like... I think Nintendo needs more than rounding out. Yeah, I, was, I mean, that's not what we're talking about no. right now. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I uh, as a Fire Emblem fan already, I'm, ha I'm glad a full-fledged console Fire Emblem is coming, and the fact that they seem to be using elements from one of my favorite strategy games of all time, like, really elevated this. Like, And I didn't really notice that until after the, the, the press conference, the, the, the direct, and I'd gone back and looked at it again. I was like, oh, that, what, that, oh, that. So, yeah, my opinion through the roof on that one. Not a very pretty game. No, not pretty at all. But Fire <laughs> I Emblem... I think I might even be, I might be look, being a little nice since I that. feel like Fire Emblem lost something in the transition to polygonal graphics that it's never yeah. getting back. Yeah. So... I'm Just not, technically, that game is pretty ugly. Yeah. Some of those ground textures, man, look like... <laughs> 
Like, I don't disagree, but I anymore. but I also played uh, Dragon Force over again yeah, recently, yeah. and it's those like, games really aren't about the visuals, though. Does it really yeah. matter? No. If there's really. a genre where graphics matter the least, that's one of them. Yeah, I mean, if you want, it's a nice bonus, yeah. but like, and yeah, I'm a little like the, the the visual look is a little subpar for the. I mean, it's it's like when it, I mean I feel the same way kind of about Pokemon. It's like it's like when you take took like you know Mario from the last system to this system, it looks like Odyssey. When you took Zelda from the last system to this system, it looks like Breath of the Wild. When you take Pokemon and Fire Emblem, they just sort of look like remasters. It looks and, like they could be games that were like for the original Wii, and they're just like, hey, we got these kicking around. Yeah. Like, hey, we got better filters now, right? Yeah. Let's put some anisotropic on it and call yeah. it a day. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I was definitely of, of the strategy games, and it was slim pickings this year of the strategy games uh, that I, that we we saw at E3. Uh, that's the one that I really want to play the most because of that Dragon Force connection. And maybe that's just me imagining things and hoping it's going to be more robust than it really is. But uh, my hope my hope's going to spring eternal because they didn't really talk about it much. They didn't. They showed the trailer. And that's exactly why I did not pick it. It's right. because I didn't have enough experience with actually playing it to know if the gameplay is okay. And just looking at it, it just really turned me off. Mm-hmm. And so I went with another game. And I went with Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden. Um, if you guys remember, well, I, Sam can actually show it right now. It was one of our trailers of the week for one week. It's like an anamorphic creature... X-Con. Oh, right. This thing. Yeah, I remember this. Have you seen it played yet? Did you get to play it at the I show? I didn't even see it. I didn't see it was there. It's pretty flipping awesome, dude. Like, literally, you play as, like, these animals, mm-hmm. and it, but it's like XCOM. But a big part of, uh, of the gameplay, it's not just like, oh, encounter, now hunker down behind, uh, behind something and take cover. It's a lot of it, a lot of the, the way the strategy works is based upon your movements before combat even happens um, and how you deploy your, your barnyard of, of characters out into the field because each character, each animal has different attributes that change how, they, how effective they are on the mm-hmm. battlefield. Um, and the game looks great. Like the characters have like fur shading and uh, the, the levels are really moody. There's lots of mist and fog. Um, <laughs> This game compared to Fire Emblem, and again, it was slim pickings. I actually didn't get to check out Gears Tactics, um, or I would have maybe mm-hmm. given that the nod. But I did play this, and I did look at that the trailer footage for uh, for Fire Emblem, and Fire Emblem wasn't tricking my tri- tripping my trigger at all, even though I am a fan of that franchise. And having a chance to play actually play this at the show, in addition to having seen this trailer before, to me it was one probably the most furthest along game mm-hmm. in the strategy strategy genre oh, yeah. at the show. Because Gears seemed real early. I didn't even get to see it. I, don't, I didn't see it. Oh. I don't think, it may not even have been I don't there. think it was. I think oh, it was okay. just that trailer. Because uh, you were saying, like, it sounded like you said you had saw it somewhere. And no, I, I, was, I, I just meant, like, when I was trying to come up with something. Oh, I was thinking either. about Gears, but, like, it wasn't... Well, in that case, this was also the only playable strategy game in the Not film. a lot. So it wins by default. I'm uh, sure no, there, there was, was some indie stuff we didn't yeah, see. Yeah, there's Total War Three Kingdoms was and there. And there's uh, Killer Queen Black. Yeah. Um... But Total War Three Kingdoms Anno, is like Anno 1880. At this point, like Creative Assembly is just like putting a n- more lipstick on the same face. Hey, you got a formula, stick with it. I, I mean, guess. look, they do fine with it, but it's hard for me to award 
a best yeah. of E3 award or even a game of the year when you're just like reskinning something. We every, didn't even, like, we didn't even have a Vermintide expansion this time. No. And this to me was uh, really unique, really different. I've never seen a strategy game like no, that. No, that that's the action game, right? What? Vermintide. That's like the left yeah, of that yeah, game. Yeah, that's like, yeah. I mean, like the, there was a, the, the, the strategy, the grand Total War style strategy game, Warhammer 40,000, was, was a big deal in the Sega booth last year. There's nothing, nothing this year. No, yeah, Total War Warhammer is what they're called. Right. But they just put out Total War Warhammer 2 like three months ago or mm-hmm. something like that. So yeah, they didn't have anything to show. But Total War Three Kingdoms was there. Yeah. And I did like stop by and watch the stage show of, of it. And I was just yeah. like, yeah, this is like the same game you guys have been making. This is something different. And that's why I chose it. And it also plays well and was very interesting. So let's move on to best fighting game. I, <laughs> I can guarantee there's one game you know that isn't going to win this category. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but this was also a genre that Might was... Might come in third, Yeah, though. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is another genre that was really underrepresented this year at E3. Mm-hmm. There were not a lot of fighting games, and most of them yeah. were coming from Bandai Namco. And a lot of... I mean, most of the fighting games that were really on display were old games. Yeah. You know, Street Fighter V was there. They did a tournament, as Arcade they always do. Arcade Edition was there, yeah. Uh, uh, but the, the, the cross-tag battle... The cross-tag game, I can't ever remember, from Arc Systems was there with all yeah. the different uh, Blaze Blue and everybody. Yeah. Um, that's already out. Like, it was just... it was. You you know, SNK Heroines yeah. was there, I think, but they all just kind of blend together. It wasn't a it wasn't a big fight. You know, Fighter Z for uh, or Fighters for yeah. Switch. Um, and what was the uh, the anime one that was just announced? Uh, Jump, Jump Force. Force. Yeah. yeah. Which look like the visuals on that look okay, but like you think so? For what it is, it I mean, just I've, looked like big empty. It's an arena fight. Yeah, so it's you a big arena big fight. You gotta have big buildings. It just looks so empty. Well, that's the whole. I mean, that's what those games are. It's I like guess. it's like uh, it's like Gundam versus. You know. I've discovered I'm not a big arena battler fan. They're not no. my forte. I mean, I think Smash kind of falls into that category as well. Yeah, but you're not in a big open zone. Yeah, it's not a Power Stone style. Yeah, at thing. least you're kind of actually limited with with Smash Brothers, which, by the way. Is the winner for both of us. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what else do you pick? What right? else would you pick? Like, even in a strong year for fighting games, it would probably win. I mean, Ultimate Smash, how, where do you go from there? How um, do you ever release another game again? Because it's not going to be the ultimate version of the game. Probably like Rebirth. <laughs> yeah, Super yeah, Smash Bros. Right. Rebirth. Or like, Re colon Birth. Like they do yeah. in Japan. Uh, I'm not a big Smash guy. But if you're a Smash fan, it looks pretty awesome. I like Smash. I mean, I prefer. I prefer if they did more of a campaigny thing because I thought that was fun. There was. Re- they haven't really um, added anything to it. No, I mean. I mean, other than just hey, here's all the characters and stages we've right. ever had. I mean, you could you could have probably just called this like Super Smash Brothers. Oh my God, we made it. Or kind of Super because Smash it feels, Brothers DX, like they've done with all the other. Because it feels like they took every asset they had from the previous games and just remastered it into this because they def- desperately needed something out this year. Nintendo for for the record is saying that, this, oh, this game was absolutely built from the ground up for a Switch, and this isn't just a port of the Wii U game. I don't believe it, but ju- I just wanted to get it on the show mm. that that is what Nintendo is saying, that it is a brand new game, that it started building from scratch. Again, I don't believe it, but that's the official line. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you can just import your assets or whatever in there. I don't, I don't know what they're doing there, but like, bringing back everybody, they've added, what, three characters? Uh, Inkling, yeah. Ridley, and Daisy, who's an Echo character, right. who's a which clone. is their word for clone. Um, I mean, okay, those three are you know big requests. I mean, people want Ridley in the game since Melee, um, yeah. and I love this. Like, oh, Ridley's too big. We can't put Ridley in. It's too big. And like, they say, well, how'd you get rid of? Well, we shrank him. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Only took you 15 years to think of that, huh? Good work. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, like, it's, it's probably cool if you just want more smash and like it, you know they're they're focusing kind of the competitive thing where every every level has like a a boring version that you can yeah. play tournament style yeah. on. Um, but for me, who's just sort of into it for the novelty of seeing the crossover, it's like oh everybody I've already seen before. Okay, but Smash Brothers it'll play well. It'll be fun. Um, I I I did want Ridley. I mean I'm looking yeah. forward to that. I mean any and I'll take any kind of Metroid you will give me at this yeah. point, frankly. Um, and I'm sure there will be new there characters. There are tons of tweaks to the game, too. Oh, yeah, they're but changing everybody. But there are things everybody. that only the hardest of the hardcore yeah. Smash fans well, will Well, you can tell in that, like, in the direct, they, you know, they, in the 25 minutes they spent on it, <laughs> yeah. they, like, you know, they went through a, a little upgrade thing or a little update thing for every, every single character. Yeah. And I love, like, some of it was just like, we've changed this, and this can, you know, this move works differently, and people wanted this to be this, so it works like this. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And, like, Olimar, they're like, when he gets hit, his helmet cracks, yeah, but then it fixes itself. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what? Like, okay. Wasn't there a certain point where, no, maybe it was in the Treehouse demo, where Sakurai, is that the guy that makes it? Yeah. He said something like, you shouldn't expect a lot of changes. He said, you don't ex- please don't expect too many new characters. Yeah, or too many new uh, something or other. Yeah. I was just like, that, you don't say that. Like, and, uh, I mean, Sony did that, too. Is that I mean, oh, that's uh, right, it Sean, did. Sean Layden did that, too. Um, that was one of his flippant comments. Yeah, don't yeah. expect too many surprises. Yeah, smart move. Um, I mean, it's it's a cool. I feel like it's a good ground ground they've laid here for this game. I, I you know, if the last one's any indication, there will be DLC and new characters through that way, and you'll be paying ten bucks for your pack or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that's not the last of of what we're gonna get in terms of new. But are we going to get, like, a single-player mode? Probably not. Doesn't seem like it. I mean, to me, if you're building a game from the ground up for a new platform, shouldn't you probably add something like that to the game? Maybe. I mean, but, like, if it's a kind of a party game style thing, if if Nintendo really is willing to sort of... But that's that's honestly why I don't play Smash anymore. But if if Nintendo's willing to support the competitive community, that's where their audience for this title is. I don't have anyone to play with at home. My wife is not going to play Smash Brothers with me, no matter how much I beg. (laughs) And when I go online, I just get annihilated because these people have been playing Smash for mm-hmm. like 20 years or whatever. So I end up like every time I get Smash, I end up playing it for like a day and I'm like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. There's no single player really anything in the game anymore. And like to me, I think that could have been something to differentiate it a little bit from the Wii U game. Well, we've seen the videos in the direct. I mean, you're supposed to go out to the park with your with your right. Switch right. and find the other hip young adults <laughs> and play at the park bench. Yeah. Meanwhile, some dude runs and up and snatches, snatches it. it. And runs away. Like, I can't see. And move, wait, move this way so the sun isn't over here. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a super exciting entry because it's so much review and it's like you're worried i'm worried about like how much there is for me to do as someone who doesn't want to play super competitively and doesn't have a lot of friends that want to come over and whack pikachu over the head with a baseball bat but like um it is it is itself and it's good and it's gonna do huge people who love smash i'm sure love it it's just Definitely I, the highest profile thing they've got coming out for the rest of the year. But you could see the fatigue at E3, like we mentioned earlier. There was really yeah. no line to play this game at all. Whereas Zelda and Mario had people lapped around yeah, the know, convention You know center. what it is. You know what you're getting. Um, that could I think also, that's the best testament to the fact that this game doesn't bring a whole lot that's new to the table. Right. But it's also kind of like, 
in light of something like Soul Calibur VI, it's like, well, at least they didn't screw it up. No, good point. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, at least they didn't fundamentally change something that everybody thought was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the, I mean, not that Smash Brothers hasn't. You remember back in Brawl? Oh, yeah. Uh, suddenly they added the ability to randomly trip. Yeah, that's right. That, that threw That's a, really dumb. It was. That, it I was mean, really dumb. <laughs> I never think that was a good idea. Yeah. Random anything in a competitive game I don't know if that's ever been adequately explained. never a good idea. No. I don't know if that's ever been adequately explained. Uh, it's just a bad decision. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Nobody's perfect. All right, let's move on. Next best driving game. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pick for this is Forza Horizon Four because can't I love, go wrong there. I love Forza Horizon. I love the UK, and <laughs> I can't wait to play Forza Horizon in the UK. <laughs> like I don't have anything better to say than that. I mean, like I love the season changes are great. Like it feels like exactly the right kind of update for the Forza games. Uh, I've been wanting, we- you know, better weather and, and you know, more... Ex- I mean, they've had the day-night thing, but, like, they, you know, Forza lagged behind in, in those regards. In every regard. And, um... It didn't have weather forever. Didn't have vehicle damage for forever. They had damage. The first Forza? I don't remember the first Forza very well, but they had damage before Gran Turismo. They did, well, yeah. Gran Turismo um, is the worst in... In all those regards. But Forza Horizon, like, you know, you didn't... Also, you didn't really notice the lack of day-night stuff too much in the main Forza game because they were sort of more about the circuit, more about the event per to event to event. Yeah. But in Forza Horizon, it's just like, why is it always daytime never in Colorado? Changes. And it's like... Um, and, like, yeah. I think they've gotten better and better over the years. Playground Games does a great job. Uh, this looks amazing. Like, the visuals look amazing. Yeah. And also just the use of the weather and how it changes things up. And, I, you know, ponds freeze and you can drive you over them now. You don't have to buy DLC to stuff. race in weather now. Yeah, I'm sure they'll find some other thing to buy DLC for. Well, yeah, of course I, they will. I, I, I would be surprised if we didn't see another Hot Wheels style yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, Because that sure. thing sold so well. Um, but I can't wait for this. This looks really good. It's actually coming this year. And, um, uh, yeah. I, I totally get it, obviously. It's the, Forza it's the Horizon one re- 3 is my still my driving game of the generation. Yeah, so. it's, it's the one you know recurring expected Microsoft franchise entry series that I still look forward to every time. So what you just said there, expected is exactly why I did not pick it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, look, you're right. The weather will change this a lot. Before, you had to pay money to race in the snow or whatever. Now, it's mm-hmm. just a part of the base game. Uh, but I decided to pick a game that I thought was actually at least trying something new and doing something different, and that is The Crew 2. Um, the morphing vehicles that will morph from vehicles into planes, into boats. It uh, keeps you on your toes. It keeps the game feeling fresh. Um, it allows you to kind of pick and choose what you want to play, depending on maybe how good you are at each one of the vehicles. Uh, it is the only driving game at uh, E3, although a couple have come out recently that were pretty innovative, but it was the only mm-hmm. driving game at E3 2018 that actually felt like something different or the developers were trying to do something outside of the norm. And look, again, Forza Horizon 3, so far, my driving game of the generation. Uh, but... I've enjoyed the time I've spent with the crew too. Although underground for Ubisoft at the show, yeah, not a not a lot. I mean, I guess because it's coming out in like two weeks, right? Like, it's but yeah, really... it wasn't like a part of the booth really. There was signage, no. but it wasn't really playable. They I had just, done that last year. Yeah, my I went Forza because I just I love Forza Horizon every time, and I thought the crew one was a nice try. Yeah, and I, I felt like it needed a lot of work on its driving model and how everything balanced out and how what it gave you to do and where and when. And adding like three new forms of transit is not really my <laughs> idea like, of fixing that. No, I so, totally get. I totally get your your. So I get, I get that what you mean when you say that it's like oh it was actually trying something new, but just because you are unique does not mean you are useful. 
And uh, so like, I, I'm in super skeptical wait and see mode on the crew too, but I really hope it's good because I like flying planes. Well, I thought the crew so one got. was good, but not great. Yeah. And so I would assume that the sequel will be improved. That's not a that, gimme. That is usually how games work these days, certainly. But, That's uh, not a gimme. No, but I, I wish I'd gotten into that beta. I'm really curious about it, but now just Force is such a sure thing to me that like that. It absolutely is. And look, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm guessing Forza Horizon 4 scores way higher than the crew too. Yeah. Like just being honest. But uh, I tend to try to reward games that try to innovate maybe more mm -hmm. than most do. And this to me is a game that's trying to innovate and change things a little bit. And so I'm going to applaud yeah. that. Yeah, I, I get. Yeah, I'm just. I I just feel like they might be. They might be have gone over to this, just throw everything in, <laughs> just like, yeah. do something. We don't know. Um, I do like that they kept the cop chases. That was a, that was a cool addition to the last game. Yep. And if anything, if, if anything, you know, they're going to support that thing forever. Absolutely. So. Yeah, Ubisoft is great with support. So there you go. Driving game, best driving game of E3. It's time to move on to best adventure game. And what we mean by adventure game is stuff like point and click, mm. walking simulators, things where there's really no action in the game. It's all about exploration and puzzle solving. People always get confused by that, so I thought I'd bring it up. And what's your pick? Uh, my pick is, um, again, just like Ghost of Tsushima and the graphics, it's another uh, visual style thing. But my pick is Sable. Which, this one um, may have been flying under people's radars. A little bit. I feel like we saw like a little like vi visual demo of it. It didn't have a name before, but these, I, think, I feel like they put out like a, 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 like a little quick video of that character riding their like little hover thing at some point a while ago. But... Um, we don't know a whole lot about this thing yet, but this the art style and the, and the visual look is very much inspired by Mobius and um, kind of the French like space opera sci-fi stuff. The tradition I love the art style. The tradition that that um, stuff like heavy metal and Valerian comes out of, and I love. Reminds that me stuff. a little bit of like Ion Flux. In oh some yeah, ways. no, that's that's definitely in the same family yeah. for sure. Um, and I just, I love that art style and I love the way they've translated it into 3D here. And, um, of all, of all the, of all the, uh, adventure stuff that kind of like, like made me sit up and notice. Cause it wasn't a, it wasn't a ton. It wasn't yeah. a lot. It this, was pretty thin. This one's got my eyes on it until it's I mean, It's pretty it's thin of everything at E3. Let's be honest. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a, <laughs> there was not a ton of games. I played the majority of all the games I needed to play in one day. Yeah, it was stunningly easy to see just about everything you needed to see in one morning. There wasn't a lot of playable games there. No, I no, mean, not at all. Like probably because, and I think that's because they, you know, you're expecting the public come in public to come in and yeah. one of the things that I think the companies learned last year is you can't let everyone play everything or the, the lines are just never going to end yeah. and so they gave them more experiences and things to take pictures with and sort of you know chances to win things or like they gave out pins, pins or whatever yeah that, um, <laughs> I was interviewing people and one guy refused to do the interview unless I gave him a pin that's a lesson like, for bro, next year. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah a lesson I will never do it again <laughs> I'm kidding but, um, but it was funny it's like I'm like, hey, would you like to do an interview about your E3 experience? He's like, are you going to give me a pin? And I was like, no. And he's like, then no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes you wish you just had like a pin. Yeah, like yeah, that. like there there, like a stick pin yeah. and just handed it to him. There you go. Here, have fun tacking that up. on the. <laughs> but uh, no, Sable was um, was the thing. That, that one had gone on. I hadn't even seen it until you gave me your pick for it. And then I yeah. went and watched it and I was like, oh, I see where Matt's coming from on that one. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, it's, again, it's like one of those things I don't really know anything about, but like adventure games are more about the hands-on experience, and uh, it's got my attention until it's out. I, I love that look. I love the visuals. I love Mobius stuff. It looks cool for sure. All right, time for my pick. 
My pick comes from Don't Nod. Is there any developer in the industry that has gone from obscure indie developer into just full-blown no. development powerhouse? This, this then is, Don't Nod. I mean, it reminds me of Telltale. It's insane. Um, it has just exploded. Yeah, except they seem to vary things up a lot more, more than Telltale. Did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they just put out Vampire, which we've talked put about out, the last they had couple. Two episodes. games at E3. Right. Um, this was definitely my number two pick. If I if I wasn't such a giant fanboy of French sci-fi comics, yeah, I, this would probably be my pick too. Well, I mean, they also had The Walking Dead's final season there, which mm. I'm sure is going to be great. At least I hope so. I hope it goes out on a high note. But I actually chose the game that they just debuted. It's called The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit. Um, this is, they say it's set in the Life is Strange mm -hmm. universe, but to well, me that's- set in the Life is Strange engine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, that's just, I think they just put that in there. I mean, I doubt there's I, gonna be any ties between Life is Strange well, and Well, I'm sure this. there'll be some like, you know, similar, like same brands and things or something, and you're like, whatever. But my, I mean, what, I'm take, what I take from that is that clearly the Life is Strange universe has sort of a magical realist, like, you know, I mean, Max has superpowers, a superpower of a kind. And so I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened to this kid too. It's like, it's a world where, you know, that kind of thing can happen. I think that's what that means. I think that's a good, that's a good point, Matt. Um, and this game is about a young boy who has a very active imagination. His, his mother has recently died. His father's yeah. turning into an alcoholic, drinking beer in the daytime. This is not the continuation of Calvin and Hobbes it I expected. It is definitely not. And he has a really active imagination. He thinks he's a superhero. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the mystery of the game is, are all these things that are happening, are they in his mind? Or are they really happening? Does he really have superpowers? Is it really supernatural? And I think that was kind of part of the angle with Life is Strange as, as well. I think that was kind of the questions I was asking myself when I was playing it is like, is this all just like delusion or is this really happening? Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of that similar flavor is, is a part of this as well. Um, Don't Nod already has laid down the template for branching story paths. We all know it can do those very well. Mm -hmm. uh, decisions with consequences, it does that very well. Um, I like the, the art style fits well for this game, I think. I like yeah. the complete shift in tone from Life is Strange. And it's apparently free? Is it free? It says free to download. I mean, really? maybe that's just the first part or something. I wasn't clear on it that. It could but... be the old drug dealer model. Yeah, but they said, the it free. Free. they said it was free. They said it was a free download. That's great. So to me, that was the most impressive uh, adventure game at the show. I didn't even saw Sable until today, but. Well, I don't think they had it like playable at the show or anything, uh, but they okay. did announce, they did release the trailer, I think Tuesday. Gotcha. Um, and it just, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things that just caught my eye. I'm like, hey, someone made a thing in my head, you know. So. But I like don't how don't nod is like switching it up. It's oh like, yeah, don't, don't nod is not just making the same. You know, telltale, it's like telltale. It's like yeah, it's like, you're yeah, make we got another. a formula. We're just gonna do it over and over <laughs> yeah. and over. But like, don't nod has no intention of resting on its laurels. I wouldn't be surprised if don't nod gets snatched up by a smart publisher here real soon. If I was a publisher and I had the money to make an acquisition, mm. I would buy Don't Nod. You could do worse. And I would give them a new I graphics would, engine. <laughs> I, if I were Warner Brothers, I would probably be looking at them. It's like, hey, we're going to buy you and you're, we're going to make you make DC story-based games. Not a bad idea. I mean, that would be a tragedy in the sense that they wouldn't make stuff like Life is Strange anymore. Right, yeah. But they are, you know, Life is Strange already got handed off to somebody else. Yeah, it did. So. I it hope, wasn't as good. I no, I hope they come back and do Life is Strange 2 before they get bought and absorbed into some kind of corporate behemoth. Yeah. But 
We'll this is see. week two. They are ripe for the picking. They are they are hot. They're on fire. I don't know how they're turning out so many games. It's insane. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how big that company is, but clearly they've been, been able to expand in the wake of Life is Strange's success. Yep. So, good. All right. I mean, it's nice to see a, a smaller company kind of make make it big in in some in, you know make it successful not necessarily big yeah but well they might be big yeah but they've cut out they've kind of cut out a, a a niche of success for themselves in a very difficult industry uh with games that are not super flashy and not super they're promoted. not what you would consider like they're just mainstream good. games yeah they're just good great storytellers so Absolutely. i like i always like it when that happens yep uh next up best trailer we're coming down the home stretch here just three categories left folks best trailer there were a lot of great trailers at E3 this year, I thought. It was a very trailer E3. Yeah, I mean, that's really all we got for a yeah. lot of stuff. Uh, I would have maybe even tossed Battlefield into this pile, but it doesn't count because we got that trailer before the show Earlier even started. There, uh, so that wasn't a part of the selection process. Battlefield was oddly absent this at E3. I mean, I know well, it's probably were, because EA it was, was over there, it there. Thing. But it's just, even at like the press conferences, just but like But see, that's nothing. the mistake when you leave E3. It's like, think about how many people never went to EA. I mean, there were 70,000 people at E3. Mm-hmm. And how many of those do you think actually made that sojourn over to, e- to it, EA? It almost thing? didn't enter my head. I know, because it's so thing. far away, you just yeah. shut it out of your mind. So they have Battlefield, which people on the show floor should be able to experience Battlefield. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's just like it wasn't even a part yeah. of the show. And I was going to say, well, at least they could put it in Microsoft. But oh. No. Nope. <laughs> Can't do that either. <laughs> So yeah, Battlefield just became like this lost game at E3, and mm-hmm. that's all EA's fault. So anyway, what's your pick for the best trailer of E3 2018, Matt? My pick is the uh, the CG trailer for Beyond Good and Evil 2. That's two years running. Yep. Last year, both of us gave it to Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah, this one can, t- again, and you're in the same, you're again in the same boat as uh, as uh, my last pick, where it's, it's it comes out of this French space opera tradition you know, and you can see it here. It's just that kind of imaginative sort of like, oh, it's 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 in the rings of this, but it's also a ship. It's you want to a... know what it is though about these trailers, Matt? What they tell a story. Yeah, that's true. That's really what it is. They feel like a tra- the trailer for like a film or something like that. Mm-hmm. They get you invested in the world. They get you invested in the characters. It, it these aren't worrying about like, hey, let's show how the combat works or right. hey, let's show they how the set traversal a tone, works. They build a world and they and they show you kind of like what you'll be playing in. And they do yeah. it really, really well. Yeah. And it helps that this is a return of you know two char- two characters Jade. that I, you know I love from that first game. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to connect all this up with that first game, <laughs> but I can't wait to see them do it. Yeah. And I like the new character. I, you know, all this stuff looks great. Like the, the you know kind of the the the. I wonder who's producing these. I don't know. They're really good. good whoever's maybe, doing maybe them. it's Blur, Blur Studios. They're up these there. trailers are gonna are costing a lot of money. Yeah, that's the other reason I like it is because it proves that they're committed to this game. I bet you this this trailer probably cost two hundred fifty three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Um, Oh, also, like, frankly, I would just watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just, it doesn't even, absolutely. If you wanted to make just a full length movie out of this, like, yep. I would watch that too. Like, I, don't, I don't even need it to be a game. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I was glad to see this come back. I was worried we'd have another year of vanishing beyond good and evil. But I love the expansion to the world we've seen here. I like the tease of Jade. I like the crazy space stuff. And like when the 
the the fighter pilot when she's trying to catch up to the sh to the ship and she ejects out and like she has that like like kind of magic space suit that's sort of yeah, going yeah. that's that space opera thing where it's like nothing needs to you don't need to explain stuff it just needs to work just happens, because because yeah. everything's just commonplace in terms of things that would be impossible for us in terms of space travel right like the space travel is just sort of there incidentally to tell this crazy story and uh, that's definitely what uh, what they seem to be doing here and I love it and look I'll be perfectly honest with you. This was the best trailer at E3 2018. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't pick it again two years in a row. I didn't even remember I picked it We last both year, did last so. year, yeah. Well, I, obviously, I went back to prepare for this and saw all our picks from last year. Well, you do your research, and I'm just like, I like the monkey. You yeah. know, it's just <laughs> like, there's no, there's a difference in approach. I mean, here. but look, editorially, I probably still should have chosen this trailer because it, it is the best trailer from E3 2018. Yeah, but I got, I got it covered. But, uh, so my This way pick, we get to say two things. Yeah. That's good. I went with Resident, the Resident Evil 2 remake. I mean, that's a super legit pick, too. And the reason I went with it is because it, did, it does something that Capcom does very often. It starts its trailers, and you have no idea what they're for. Mm -hmm. Capcom yeah, that's true. is the master of that. They like, did that with Devil May Cry 5, Absolutely. Too. You start watching a trailer, you're like, what is this? What could this mm -hmm. be? And then there's that reveal moment. And then it just delivers. Like, this trailer, very well cut. It has the perfect mix of everything to, to let you know, hey, this is how we're handling this remake. Yeah. Like, there's still puzzles in there. There's still insane gore in there. There's over-the-shoulder shooting a la Resident Evil 4. Holy crap, look at these graphics. Holy crap, look at that gore. Uh, it's just everything that you would want in a Resident Evil trailer with mystery and then a reveal and then the payoff. And that, mm -hmm. to me is a good template to use for a trailer for anything. Yep. Doesn't matter whether it's a video game, a movie, some project that you're, whatever, that's a good strategy yep. to use to debut It anything. also is an, a nice reminder that some of the most talented trailer editors and producers in entertainment today are working in video games. No, you're right, like, absolutely. A lot of them lot work of, in both though too. Yeah, some, a lot of those trailer houses do both, but like, there's, you know, and some, you, you got to work with what you got to work with, but yeah. like, man, I see a lot flatter and less in, non-interesting movie trailers than I do high-profile game trailers. See, there's also the callback there, too, where the mouse gets killed. Yep. Like, there's just so much good stuff in this trailer. And the, uh, I think people are going to refer to this trailer for a long, long time to come, and all I can say is that whoever has to make the next Resident Evil trailer... Good luck. It'll be boring. It won't. It won't. It'll be, just be yeah. like gameplay clips snapped together. I mean, for the, whatever the next game is, oh, the, the okay, next debut, you know, Resident right. Evil Eight, right. like the, or the or the remake of Three, depending on how well this does. Yeah, which could be likely because I think this game's going to be real, really well. well yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, in the right place too. Late January is the right place for this game, I think. Yep. Um, I wouldn't mind a Resident Evil Three remake in that no, in that vein. Not at all. I, Capcom can just keep doing it. I mean, until you get even. Well, four's already been kind of four's already been kind of remastered, and yeah. nobody—I don't think anybody wants a remake of five. No, or six. I mean, you don't really need to. They're already 1080p. Just use it to buy time for Resident Evil Eight. Yeah, whatever that's going to turn out to be exactly. Uh, and then we have an honorable mention. I think this is an honorable mention for both of us. Yeah. And once again, it's Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. That's a great. That trailer track. did blow my freaking mind. Like, I never dreamed that's what the game was going to look like. Sam, actually, bring up the old trailer of Cyberpunk—the one where the bullets just flying like a past the girl's face because this is what we first saw of the game mm -hmm. and what we see here this is very expected cyberpunk look this is you know? nothing like what the game ends up looking like though yeah well this is how old is this like four six, years seven five years old? years old yeah <laughs> i feel like this was like 
yeah, right. This is before Witcher Three came out. This is like it 2013. Is. Absolutely, or yeah. It's a long time. So seeing this, this is what I yeah. expected from the game. Well, I mean, also remember, part of this is because the reason this girl is is the teaser, and the reason she's the statue they gave out at the event is because she was on the cover of the original RPG, right? Of the original book. Yeah. Um, who knows if she's... I mean, I, I, the blade things are in the game. I mean, the, the V, the character you play, definitely can use the blades and hang from the wall and do all the stuff with the scythe blade things. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this was, I mean, this is just a flavor teaser, basically. Um, and, they, and I like that so, they But that showed, set the tone for me. Like, I was like, okay, this is what the game's going to look like. Yeah. And then they drop the well, real trailer. Well, the sun also could rise in the game, yeah, it turns yeah, out. Yeah. So, like, that's what I like. Is like it's just like know, Dayglow, though. It's got this really saturated, almost mm -hmm. neon look to it. Yeah, but when it becomes... I mean, it's called Night City. There will also be night and yeah. neon and all that. It'll be okay. It'll look like this, too, you know? Um, there's room for both, and I like that because uh, you know some cyberpunk is just sort of the sort of the Blade Runner like oppressive thing. Uh, sort of, you know, so everything's dark and everything's dirty, and it's always raining and it's always you know nighttime and stuff. But like you get when you think about it, like a you know a, a cyber dystopia needs to have a pretty shiny kind of surface for the the sheep to kind of be content. And then like yeah. when you're the punk in the part of cyberpunk, when you're the punk. That's when you see the underbelly and you see the dark stuff right. underneath, and you and you walk the street when every all the sane people are are inside and stuff. And I love that they doubled down on kind of that bright surface surface tension of the world. I think that's really cool. The other thing I would say too is that now that I've seen a demo of the game, this trailer does a great job of encapsulating the mm -hmm. game. Actually, they just that robot they just showed. That's the robot I was talking oh, about you're before. To, yeah, you're that's the one get. that you have to go and buy. That little like mini bot or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, but now that I've seen the game being played, this is a great cross section of what the game is like. Yeah, I just wish it was sooner. They just showed him pulling out the eyeball right there. Did you mm -hmm. see that? It's funny watching this now, like seeing all these see really all the, all the bits, quick cuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a great trailer, and probably any other E3, it probably would have won trailer of the show. Yeah, that is a really really good trailer. Now more so that I. I mean, it's up seen. there, but it's just like. Man, I can't wait for Beyond Good and Evil too. Like it's just yeah. it, it, Beyond Good and Evil two. I mean that like that's a that's a tone poem trailer yeah. basically. Whereas Beyond Good and Evil two told a really good story and kind yeah. of like like really expanded on what we already knew about it. And not to say Cyberpunk didn't, but it's just like I would have watched another twenty minutes of that Beyond Good and Evil two. Oh, I'd have watched like two hours for of sure. It. And uh, yeah, absolutely, I ha it had to be my pick for that. All right. Here we go, folks. It's time for... Actually, it's not yet. Yeah, one biggest more. surprise is next before Game mm -hmm. of Show. So here we go. For biggest surprise, first thing I would say is there were no damn surprises. Not too everything, many. No. Everything was leaked out beforehand, and some stuff was leaked out that actually never even did show up. I think we picked good ones, though. I, I think we um, did. Although, Absolutely. for some reason, you go first on this one. Okay, that's fun. I'll switch it up. You switched it around. So my pick for biggest surprise is... And I'm probably saying this wrong. Sekiro... Shadows die close. twice. Mm -hmm. And the reason this is surprising to me is because it's really nothing like a From Software game. It is, it has a jump button. Mm -hmm. Well, it is like a From Software game. It's just not like a Souls game. Right. Yeah, it's not a Souls game really it's a, at all. It's a straight, it's a, like we were saying, a dying genre. It's a straight action adventure game. It is, yeah. It's really closer to Tenchu than anything. Yeah. Because well, you have a grapple hook. Yeah. Well, they said in the interviews, like, you know, they originally started thinking about making a Tenchu game, and they decided that Tenchu had been iterated on so much by other studios, they'd rather just, like, had make it? their own thing. Yeah, there'd been a, several others had made. There's been a bunch of Tenchu games. I can't. Wait, Tenchu games or other or Tenchu. clones? Tenchu. Oh, okay. There's been, like, eight Tenchu games, and only one of them was good. I yeah, mean, it was yeah, like, I know. 
It's uh, so they decided just to make their own thing, and I think that was the, the wiser choice. Um, it's just I think it's surprising, and I'm not surprising in a bad way that like they you know this is not there's no it's not a Souls game. There's no HP. There's no souls. There's no upgrading. There's no weapons to find. There's no loot. There's no armor. There's, it's like you are him and you are Sekiro and you are you have your abilities and you are fighting stuff. That's I will say it. this. Not a, a great-looking game. No, it's the not. The textures uh, in this game look really bad. It ain't. I no, don't know if this is from Software's A team or not. To be honest it is. with you, it is. It is. It's the people that made Dark Souls Three, as I understand it, which is the A team. Why does it not um, look that good graphically? I don't know. Maybe they're trying to do other stuff under the hood. I, I would. I don't know enough technical stuff to know that for sure. But again, graphics aren't everything. But and, big uh, surprise. One, because it's not a Souls game. Two, because it's not Bloodborne 2. Three, because it's not even Souls-like. Right. It's just a hack-and-slash mm-hmm. action-adventure game. There's a, there's a slight artist, you know, uh, art style similarity, I think. I think the monster... You, know, you can see that these guys came from... Yeah, you can see... From the chance. Dark Souls artists, maybe. Yeah. Like, they're in there a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Some of the tone of it may be a little but bit. But I'm really intrigued by it. I like you know the fact that... Uh, you know, the, the, the sword hits are basically lethal and the combat is more about creating an opening uh, it's and still like getting high risk that lethal combat. hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's different than what we've seen in the Souls Absolutely. game. It's, uh, in terms of how the combat comes together, I'm interested to see how they make that all work because uh, games where the sword is super lethal and it's all about kind of the defense means you're usually cheating a bit in terms of making things not exploitable or too easy. I mean, you saw that with, like, if any game where the lightsaber is super lethal, like, you yeah. have a problem with that. But, um... Bushido Blade. Bushido Blade, like a little bit. I mean, yeah, but, uh... The, what they're going for, the idea behind their, their combat system and what they're trying to make here is really interesting to me, and I'm, I'm pretty... I'm on, definitely on board for it. Um... I'm interested to see what you think of it because it's, it's I wish it seems they, like it's more up your alley in terms of like just having a, you know a straight stand up street fight. Here's thing. the thing. I wish they had kept the aesthetics of their old games with the gameplay from this game. Mm. Cuz now I'm like, "Hey, here's a From Software game that I'm pretty excited to play, but now they got rid of the awesome Dark Souls like aesthetic. Like I've always loved the style mm. of Dark Souls, the art and the setup and the lore of about it. I just don't like having to mm-hmm. play the same fight over and over again and the weird save well, system and all that. Well, like, now I'm interested... In this game, I'm interested to see if it might be... not Might not be more challenging than the Souls games. It's possible. Because the thing about what they're doing here is it means they know exactly what you can do and what you're capable of in every situation because yeah. the character isn't customizable. No, you're right. So they could throw some really gnarly stuff at you. Well, Whereas like in Dark know. Souls, you always have to kind of hedge your bet on like, you know, if you haven't like upgraded all your strength, you can't have the people that went magic like die right. here and never be able to get through yeah. it. Um, now you will know what the max power of the player will be. Yeah, this will be a really, at all times. really strong uh, and no multiplayer, no. I, 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 I appreciate this bold. It's a bold choice to kind of break away from this thing that's been their success for it's almost 10 years. been a cash cow for them, yeah. And, uh, but I'm into it. I mean, and it's funny that like there's so many like samurai thing you know we got also yeah what is Ashima, up with that but like you would never confuse the two in oh, terms no. of what they're going for or certainly what they look like but also like what they're after yeah. in terms of the game but for example compare the visuals in this game to Ghost of Tsushima yeah but I don't know the front the the, the, the Dark Souls games are are cool art style games but they were never the cutting edge of graphics tech I don't know I thought Dark Souls three looked pretty darn good man it's all right I mean but it's like it looked better than this. It did look better than this. Why is that? I don't know. Isn't that weird? 
I don't know. I didn't make it. Like, well, I, obviously not, but um, I'm trying to figure out why that would be. I don't know. It's, you're definitely seeing much larger areas there than there were in Dark Souls 3. Yeah, that might be like, part of it. I mean, the most, texturing, though. Texturing is a big, big mm, thing. Texturing looks about on par to me. To me, it's the lighting. I think the lighting is less uh, stark. And it's 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 it feels flatter. Like it feels the lighting in all of this feels a little flatter. Some of the close-ups on those characters, those textures look terrible, man. Like, yeah, but terrible. go go boot up Dark Souls three and get a real close look at your character's face. It's not it's not gold. I'm not even right talking right. about their face. It's like their clothes and their skin. Mm -hmm. It just it looks like an I don't know. But anyway, I'm still excited for it. And it was Let's a just blame Activision from software. Definitely threw everybody a curveball. And there weren't many curveballs at E3 2018. Which one did you pick, Matt? Uh, my big pick for biggest surprise was Star Fox in Starlink. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, partly, partly because when we were watching the Starlink trailer in the UB conference, I, I, said, I think I said, uh, this is the Star Fox game that Nintendo will never make for yeah. me. And then Star Fox's logo popped yeah. up, and I was like, what? Like, yeah. like, what a perfect fit. And, like, I don't know how they pulled that one off to convince Nintendo, like, hey, you should get in on this... Nintendo I mean, I, probably played it and realized it was twice as good as Star Fox Zero. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I played it a little bit at, on the floor, and like I really liked what it was. Yeah, it, it, I was impressed with this game, too. Because it's tempting to think it's like some kind of, like, ooh, kitty sort of uh, my first shooter thing. But no, right. it's it's a, it's a legit. It's kind of like No Man's Sky as an arcade shooter. A little bit, yeah. Uh, where, like, you can be, you're can you up in the solar system. You can fly down to the planet. You fly around. It's like an open world, and there's, like, these monster titan things, like, dropping, like, like like some kind of like reactor things on the ground you got to destroy and you got to destroy the titans before they like terraform the planet kind of thing. it's a lot going on here and it and if you like um, I'm a big arcade starfighter shooter person and it's uh, like it's one of those kind of games that people just don't make anymore I don't know how this got made but yeah. I'm not going to argue <laughs> with it and Star Fox being in it is a pretty great surprise because it, it's well, it's clearly a life game so you're also yeah. going to get an R wing oh for sure and you, all the all the stuff is digi can be digital only. You don't have to buy a toy yeah. at all. You, you never have to buy any physical toys if you don't want to. But they are going to be there for you. I will pro even if I don't buy the toys, I will pro I will buy the R wing. The R wing. Yeah. The R wing was on display there, and it looked amazing. And they're big. It'll they're, be interesting to big. see if Nintendo flags this on YouTube. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling it might. But honestly, I would have been after this. I would have been totally fine with that Star Fox Grand Prix thing because I was getting my Star Fox game. Yeah. But then that didn't happen. That didn't happen. But like, if one, only one of them was going to happen, I'm glad it was this one. Yeah. But yeah, that was a big surprise for me and a nice, pleasant uh, shock. Uh, and uh, even though Ubisoft cool. seems to do like a partnership with Nintendo every year. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It seems I, to be like a recurring thing. Well, I, I predicted that we were going to get something like that, but I sure didn't think it was going to be this. Funny so, anecdote. Awesome. The day after their press conference, when this was unveiled, I'm in the elevator, get to my apartment, it's late, I'm going up the elevator, and these people get on the elevator with me, and they're like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm tired. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, what have you been up to? And I was like, oh, I was at this crazy game show called E3 all day today. And they're like, oh, you were at E3. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, we work for Ubisoft. <laughs> and I was like, really? And I'm like, oh, you guys had a great press conference today. I'm like, congratulations on the Star Fox announcement. And they go, we actually work on Starlink. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that Ubi had people down there. I didn't either. I didn't even know they had an office in LA. Yeah, I don't know. But I had seen these folks several times. You got, for whatever reason, I can tell when someone's a gamer. But I always thought for whatever reason they worked at Riot. And nope, they work at Ubisoft. That's a pretty good bet if you're in that area yeah. of town. Because I live like literally a mile and a half from Riot or whatever. Yeah. And uh, no, they work at Ubisoft on Starlink. So there you go. They were very, very excited about that. They said that they were, had been waiting quite a while for that announcement to be made. And it was very mm -hmm. hard to keep it under their hat. But anyway, 
Um, yeah, so that's it for Biggest Surprise. And now we have just one category left, Best of Show. Uh, we have no trailer of the week this week because this is a special episode. So if you have any questions for us, you get them. You've plenty of trailers. Yeah, you see, I think you've seen enough of those <laughs> it's tonight. It's a trailer show already. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any questions for us, get them into the chat right now uh, before we pick our game of the show. And it always helps if you go at Sifted Games. That way we can pluck them out of the chat much easier and get the questions answered as quickly as possible. So with all that said, it's time for our game of the show for E3 2018. And this is a case where we share the same game. And yeah. I have a feeling it's going to be the same game that is shared on every publication all around the world. And that game is Cyberpunk 2077. Not only is this game game of the show, this game might be the game of forever. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even like speaking in hyperbole, Matt. This game literally just blew me the F that is, away. That is the funniest thing about this E3 is um, how it's like how the, the internet seems to be accusing everyone who saw Cyberpunk of being hyperbolic. And everyone I know, even the least exaggerating prone people I know are like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It is like, unreal. Like when you have that kind of like agreement across the board that this is one of the most impressive things that's ever been shown at an E3. Seriously. Like, I don't know what else you need. I mean, it sucks that they won't so far release it to they will. the public. They will eventually. Like, that, I mean, the demo was crazy polished. They did with, with The Witcher eventually. Yeah, there was well. no, we, I mean, other than some of the pop-in that I saw on some of the buildings, the, I, it was just flawless. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there is just crazy stuff going on all over the place. Like, I want to watch that demo like five or six times over because I kept picking up like these little details of what uh, enemies were doing in the scene, non-playable characters were doing in each scene. It's, uh, man, I, I, it's just hard to put into words how many cool things I saw in this game. Um, it's like um, I described in my E3 diary, it's like The Witcher plus Grand Theft Auto plus Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best way I could describe it. And I think that's a pretty potent concoction right that's, there. That's a pretty crazy triple threat. Yeah. It's, uh, this game is going to be And it also, fe I feel like it's, uh, it's delivering in some ways on the promise Deus Ex was never able to keep. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like... This, this feels like, especially with the quest branching and kind of how that can all change, it just seems like this is what Deus Ex wanted you to think it could do, and but never really couldn't. did. Yeah. And here we have sort of a realization of that. I think one of the things, too, that really struck me after I walked out of that demo was how connected I felt to the characters and the world after just 50 minutes of playing the game. Like, they played as the female character in my demo, Mm -hmm. And by the time that that 50 minutes was up, I gave a whole lot of crap about her and what her aspirations were. Like, I wanted her to pit, pick herself up by her bootstraps instead of being this person who's just doing these side jobs for scumbags. I wanted her to become, like, this bounty hunter or whatever she ultimately mm -hmm. is going to become just to ascend to something better because they did such a good job of explaining what how her life was and how her day-to-day -day living was and the people that she mm -hmm. was constantly interacting with. And they were just... You felt sorry for her because it's like she lives in this cramped little space that has just this little portal window that looks out into this amazing possibility CD of Project a world. Project Red is good at misery. It's uh, <laughs> what you see in The Witcher. As it well. just affected me in so many different ways, and then ultimately, you know, it it, it appears to be a great playing first-person shooter, which I'm a big fan of shooters. Mm -hmm. It just for me, 
it just all melted together. And obviously I love action RPGs and I love Cyberpunk and I love Blade Runner. It's it's like the Shane game. And uh, maybe I'm a little surprised to see so many other people loving it as much as I do because it really is like my wheelhouse, ultimately. It's interesting to me because you know, I've been, I mean, I'm a big CD Projekt Red fan. I've loved all the Witcher games they've done. Um, I think they're very pro-consumer uh, company yeah. and I was excited about Cyberpunk because I, you know, I, I dabbled in that game in my youth, pen and paper RPG youth a yeah. little bit. Um, I was, you know, but it's hard. It was always hard to get people to play that because everyone wanted to play the sword and sorcery stuff. They wanted, yeah. they wanted the D and D kind of thing. And I was kind of wondering if this would be kind of, you know, start to become more shown and more seen, and there would be people who just turned off by the Cyberpunk thing because Cyberpunk, as we, you know, again, there hasn't really been a, a hit Cyberpunk movie. Maybe ever. Well, the last Blade um, Runner didn't do as well as the they thought. The first Blade Runner didn't do well either. Yeah. I mean, that's and I infamous. thought the last Blade Runner was amazing. Oh, that was great. Yeah. But like Cyber, you know, the Ghost in the Shell live action movie didn't do yeah. well. Yeah. Um, again, not on par with Blade Runner 2049. But like, Cyberpunk doesn't seem to penetrate the mainstream audience consciousness, but it, but uh, certainly it seems to have captured the imagination of the core gaming and game journalism demographic. Uh, it so hopefully, me. hopefully this can translate into uh, kind of a breakout hit sort of thing. Um, Dude, the guns in this game are so freaking awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I can't even begin to tell you. Like, the way that they work, their alt-fire modes. Like I said, there's mm-hmm. a gun that banks. You can bank yeah. bullets off of objects. And, and you can see, th- like, your eye thing can see through the wall to the gun. You can bounce the shotgun you can bounce off the, the wall. Not only and that, you them. have weapons that uh, that can shoot through walls. Mm-hmm. You can see the enemies through the wall and then shoot through the walls if it's not there. That's probably what shocked me the most about this game was the guns, mm-hmm. like the thought that has gone into them and how creative and interesting they are. Which now that I'm seeing this debut teaser, the first teaser trailer for it, what is it focused on? A gun. Yep. I never even piece it together until just now. But this game really is all about like the guns and the weapons. Uh, it was some of the coolest stuff that they showed in the whole demo. Um, anyway, like I said earlier in the show, let me know what you want me to do with the audio version of the presentation, and I will do it, and I will get it out for you guys. Like I said, I have the whole thing recorded, uh, and I can just loop the trailer over and over, so you can just listen to it. I can just put up a still image while you can listen to it. I can put it up as a podcast in our podcast feed. Just let me know what you want me to do, and I will do it. So there you go. Unanimous game of the show from Matt and I, Cyberpunk 2077. Easiest, best of E3 game of show I've ever given. Think about that. Hmm. I've been doing this for 20-some years. So hopefully you trust me when I tell you that it's not a bunch of malarkey what people are saying about this game. And uh, I just saw it yesterday, the last day, too. Like, I just barely, like, slid mm-hmm. in and got to check it out. I had to stand to watch it. Who cares? Totally worth it. Totally worth it. All right, let's get to some questions. All right. Let's see what we got here from Sifted Massive. Um, I don't see any questions. There's some. See what uh... happens with this app? Is it doesn't let me go back very far. Well, because you let, because it. it goes to sleep. Yeah. So you've been missing like the last three hours of chat. Yep. You gotta set it so it doesn't go to sleep. But I got some stuff. I mean, the at doesn't help me. I have I'm two questions in mind right now. Uh, w Matthew with a bunch of games getting 60 FPS modes on enhanced hardware Pro and X, such as Forza Horizon 4 on the X. Do you think 60 FPS mode as a choice will carry over to the PS5 and Xbox? 
two or whatever. They whatever call. it is. Uh, wait, is he saying will it be an option or mandatory? Option, I think. Because the Forza Horizon 4, basically, it's, it's the resolution versus frame rate thing. You have a mode where you can switch it to 60. I would prefer to leave it an option because mm -hmm. I would, I'm okay playing some games at 30 frames per second. And if, that, if I can play a game at 30 frames per second and get better fidelity, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. I don't need to play every game at 60 frames per second. Now, some games, I like at 60 frames. So, to me, I think it's always better to have options. Always. No matter what you're talking about in life, I think it's mm -hmm. always better to be able to choose what you would prefer. Well, in this case, I think if it's not an option, you ain't getting the 60. Because the developers are generally going to default to 30. Because it looks better. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think the option should continue because I tend to pick 60. Um, and so, I'd like to continue to have that option. Um, and I think if, it, if there is no option, you're usually going to end up with a game being 30 uh, over 60 because it's just, you know, if you're well, going to have to compromise, better. you have to make it look better. And looking, looking better is what tends to sell the game. So that's why 30 frames per second and prettier is the, you know, the more common standard than 60 frames per second and slightly less pretty. Although I will usually pick 60. The only genres I really care about 60 frames per second are fighting games and shooters, first person shooters. I think driving games should be 60. No question. Yeah. Driving, driving games at 30 are weird. Uh, you know what, thinking now. back to playing games like uh, Beetle Adventure Racing on the Nice N64. wheels. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I can see your point, because I remember mm -hmm. in the old 3D era that, yeah, if you had a game, a racing game that did not have yeah. a great frame rate, it and affected the gameplay. Anything play. like that. I mean, even I'm playing a little bit of Just Cause 3 on Xbox One X now, just because it was cheap and I liked it, and Just Cause 4 has me, like, wanting to play Just Cause. I'm like, yeah. I'll tell you, I, on the PS4, the regular PS4, I struggled with those wingsuit challenge missions all the time, just constant, like over retry, retry, retry. On this first try every time, really? so 60 FPS makes the difference. Wow, like, that's crazy. Like the, the, the little like minor adjustments you have to make, like yeah. it's a it's a completely different world. Wow, that's interesting to hear. So yeah, it matters when it comes to like high speed, like yeah, split second decision stuff. And so I will always default to 60 on a racing game. Interesting. Um, if I can. Okay, now some questions are flooding in. Maybe my mind is starting to catch up. Uh, thank you, everybody, for thanking our curators. I appreciate that you're doing that. They worked really hard this week, and they deserve your praise. Um, loop it over nature footage. He's talking about the uh, audio recording of the <laughs> Cyberpunk presentation. Um, Derek D111. Uh, Shane, do you know if that cyberpunk trailer we've seen for years, the woman cyborg getting shot in the face, the one that we've shown like 20 times tonight, um, is in the game? Is the trailer in the game or is the woman in the scene in the game? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she's iconic to the cyberpunk brand from back then, so it could be that she's just there to represent, you know? Like, I, I don't know if she's in there somewhere, but it wouldn't surprise me. I did not see her in the game. She might be hidden there as an NPC or something, but if they originally intended that she was going to be the lead character in the game, she's been changed. Yeah, I don't think she is. Because the lead character has she's like... A, she's a specific person. Okay. She's a specific character. Got you. Like, uh, the, lead, the lead female character in this has like um, kind of a mohawk, but it like lays on to the side. Well, it's but all customization. Her, oh, it is? Yeah, you can customize everything about the character. Oh, okay. Well, that, anyway... Hair, the default, tattoos, scars, everything. Got you. The default so. character in this one, they didn't go into character customization. Mm -hmm. They just had, they showed the two, the male, default male, the default female, and they chose a female. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had like half her head shaved with like some stripes on the side or whatever. So I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it. So punk. <laughs> um, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if like something similar to that happened, but I feel like, you know, 
that was just like a, an announcement trailer. It's like how in uh, The Witcher 3, that original trailer where he fights the guys at the hang, hanging tree and saves that woman, that's not in the game. But it is at the, at like, like one of the beginning things, I think. And, and like they, they reference that trailer in the game. Like Lambert makes fun of him for like, he's, 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 he's like, I heard what happened. And he's just like, he's just like, he's like, I thought you kill monsters. I am killing monsters. And he's, just, he's like, I don't know. It just came out that way. And oh, like, hey, why don't you pull down uh, what you got from E3, actually? The glare may be too bad for people to really see it, but they're giving out a cyberpunk figurine at her. E3. And it's her. It's the girl from the original teaser trailer. There you go. Mm -hmm. Right there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I did not get one, unfortunately, but Matt did. Oh, yeah, you can just put it right there. There you go. Yeah, it's the glare's still there, but you can kind of see. Pretty sweet. Yep. Um, Wolf Fox, 10JC, how was Black Ops 4? A whole lot like Black Ops 3, in all honesty. Mm. I really couldn't feel... Who could have known? Yeah, I honestly couldn't feel much of a difference at all. Um, it was just multiplayer matches just set up to just loop over and over on the same, the same map and the same mission. Um, if you like Black Ops 3, you're going to like Black Ops 4. The zombies weren't there to play, so I can't really give you any impressions of that. At least they weren't in Sony's booth where I played it. Um, gunplay feels great. It's a Treyarch shooter. Uh, the traversal is just pretty much sliding, which is kind of a shame. Uh, I, I kind of like the wall running from Black Ops 3, but at least I kept the sliding in there. So... Um, yeah, there's really not much to report on. I mean, that's kind of the messed up part about Black Ops 4 is like when there's no campaign, it's like, what do you talk about? Yeah. It's going to hurt the, the free marketing and promotion of the game that it would normally get on podcasts and mm -hmm. things like that. So, but people are still talking about more than Anthem. Yeah, no, you're right. It's true. At least they asked me a question about yeah. Black Ops. They didn't ask about Anthem. Uh, Justin Horman, do you think E3 is, a, is much different in five years? Is it still a huge show with tons of attendees, or does it get even bigger, or will it turn into more digital presentation videos and having a smaller footprint? I mean, I, I said it, you maybe came in late, but I said it the early part of the show was that, you know, we're back to the attendance level that the show was at in 2005. And 2005 is what prompted the big change to E3. Everyone in the industry was complaining it's getting too big, it's getting too annoying. Um, and that ended up resulting in that weird E3 that happened in Santa Monica, which made people wake up and say, oh my gosh, this is dumb. It makes our industry look bad. Let's go back to the convention center. So I'm hoping that this time cooler heads prevail and they remember what happened last time where everybody jumped the gun and was like, we need drastic changes. Mm -hmm. And they make the drastic change and everybody hates it and they just end up going back to the old way. So I would hope that people would have the foresight this time to say, well, let's not like make it into this pathetic like looking thing anymore. Let's just find ways to tweak it here and there to kind of fine tune it a little bit. But mm -hmm. would I be surprised if they were dumb and did it again? No, not at all because yeah. life is just a big cycle where things just repeat and like people mm -hmm. refuse to learn from the past, but who knows? Sony. If I could look into the future, I'd be a very rich man. I'll tell you that. Killzone 310, will we not see you at E3 next year after probably getting banned for sneaking into booths, picking fights with security, recording cyberpunk audio, and sticking people with pins? <laughs> uh, I didn't do anything illegal. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> and I was, 
allowed to record the audio of Cyberpunk. We just weren't allowed to take video or mm. photos of it. You're allowed to record audio if you wanted to. Although it seemed like nobody did. I think I might be the only person who did that. I haven't seen anything pop up or anything like that. No, I haven't so. seen anything like that. Yeah, so. People probably just assume that if it's not, doesn't have video, nobody cares. But they were wrong. But uh, Like, I knew. No, that presentation is worth hearing. Exactly. Even if you, even if you don't see it. Like, I knew it. As soon as I walked in there, I'm like, I'm recording audio of this because, you know, it maybe it takes two months before they put this out for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew that because I had been in demos from CD Projekt Red before, I knew it was going to be information rich. And uh, I just turned it on and let it roll. So I'll get it out to you guys ASAP. Um, Heading MJ, what are, what are your most surprising absences from E3? Retro's game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, almost everything I can Nintendo. think of is Nintendo related. Yeah, Metroid except, Prime 4. Uh, and Splinter Cell. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo. I mean, Splinter Cell of... was just speculation mostly, but it really yeah. felt like they were warming up to some. And Watch Dogs 3. Yeah. yeah. But Nintendo gave all kinds of lame, bullcrap excuses for why Metroid wasn't there and why Retro's game wasn't there. Basically contradicted themselves, saying, oh, we don't show games that are far out. Funny, you did it in this exact direct. And you did it last year. And then they tried to say, well, last year it was the first year of the console, and we really needed to get out in front of it. Well, how do you explain the stuff that you showed it this year as it isn't coming out this year? It was just mm. a bunch of malarkey. So I was surprised, yes, that uh, Metroid Prime 4 wasn't there. I was surprised that we don't know what Retro's working on still. I'm really starting to wonder if Retro is problematic again. If maybe they've lost some uh, important employees and... They're starting to fall back into their old ways where they have a bunch of projects and they can't get any of them greenlit from Nintendo because we absolutely should have seen Retro's game by now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely should have seen it. So, I don't know. I'm starting to get a little nervous that maybe something's going on at this studio yeah, at this so point. Something's up. Way up. Yeah. Something. <laughs> something's up. Uh, Where's Yoshi's flipping? Yoshi's flipping island or whatever they're going to call it is probably the the weirdest absence to me because it was yeah. already there last year. Oh, and we had it's like just an like, hour of gameplay of it already from the treehouse last year. Yeah, and it's just like... It's gone. It's like, how does it take... Nintendo's showing makes no sense whatsoever. None of it. Like it's None just, of it makes you're sense. You're just pooping out another Yoshi game. Like, yeah. how is it possibly that complex? Not that I even missed it, No, but, but like... <laughs> It's not like, like your release schedule needs everything you can get this year. Yeah. Like, why is that not like your frickin' September game or something? I don't know, man. It's really baffling. Uh, here's a good one. The Abram. Do you feel better about Phil Spencer as the head of Xbox after this E3? Well, that's a weird kind of catch-22 because he's the one who got them into this mess in the first place. It's like... He would have Did to. He? I thought Don Matrick was kind of instrumental in sort of shredding that situation back Well, when Phil has been the head of of studios this whole time he knew more than anyone what was coming down the pipeline what wasn't coming down the pipeline he's the one who canceled mm -hmm. scalebound knowing they had a more powerful console coming would he and then had, saying that the power that they didn't have enough power to run scalebound would he he had the power to like make that call or could somebody have been saying no you're going to do it this way which call scalebound whatever call about like how the studios were managed like what was in the pipeline like yeah like, absolutely yeah. i mean he's the head of their studios that's his job who's to head of manage Xbox? those studios but who's head of Xbox? I don't even know. Who is it now? I don't know. Used to be Matrick, I thought. Yeah, I don't think it is. He, he's gone, so who's doing it now? They don't really trot him out, I guess. No, uh-uh. I mean, Phil is the face of Xbox. He does their press conference. Mm -hmm. He runs all their studios. It all falls on him. If his studios are not producing content and good content in a timely manner, that's his responsibility. And it has been for a long time. 
And so he dug the hole that he filled a little bit in with this E3. Do you reward somebody for fixing their mistake? Mm. I guess a little bit, yeah. I, I think you might be too hard on Phil there. It's, Why? Uh, because I've been in situations where I knew the right thing to do, but because of the people who were in charge above me, I couldn't do it. But in what scenario, how would, how would this scenario He still answers to the head of Xbox. Like, if they don't want to give him the budget to, like, fill that schedule properly, there's nothing he can really do about it. I mean, I don't know what happened with Scalebound. That's still a big question mark. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's about budget, though. It's about, these are the assets that you have, meaning the studios that you have under your tutelage, mm -hmm. under your purview. Well, he doesn't have much. So now he bought four more of them. So good? I don't know. But what happened that all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay, now we're going to give you the money to buy studios? Maybe he finally convinced some higher-ups that, yeah, there's a problem. I mean, that's about three or four years, actually more than three or four years late. You know, I mean, we've been on the Gears, Halo, Forza cycle oh, now true. for how long? True, Six years? But you, you know how long it takes to convince these people in the suits, you know, of the truth sometimes. It's not that hard. It's not six years hard. Six years, no, but he wasn't it's calling like, those shots. It's like one year of poor first party sales. He didn't He didn't set himself up uh, with the Xbox One's first three years the way they did it. I mean, I'm sure it was not his call to have people that never touched a video game design the OS or to have all the emphasis on being a pass-through box and a set-top box. He's the one who green lights the games, though. So you look mm -hmm. at Fable Legends. He greenlit that game and then ultimately decided... And then he red-lit it. Right. But, like... Yeah, there's, there's that's a mistake. That's a huge oh, absolutely, mistake. Absolutely a mistake. That's a I, mistake that costs a company probably half a billion dollars, costs hundreds of people their jobs, left a huge gaping hole in their in their release schedule. I just think there's more than one man at fault here. Well, yeah, I mean, replacing it, Phil Spencer wouldn't solve the problem. But Matt, that's how it works, though. When that's you're how the, corporate culture works. Right. That's not necessarily how you solve a problem. I have very a very dim view of corporate culture. I in that I, I think most human beings do. But having been someone who's been kind of in the top rungs of that, when shit goes wrong, the people at the top get canned. That's why they get paid the mm -hmm. big money. Because it's like, you're on the hook for stuff that you aren't actually doing. That's upper management. That's how it goes. Under his purview, Xbox first party studios have completely floundered. Well, I think period. that's why Matrix gone more than he's still there. That's part of it, but he's been gone for years now. Like. That, this is all on Phil. This it is takes his, years to steer that ship job, in another direction. His though. responsibility. I think if this failed. doesn't work out and all these all these these acquisitions of these new developers do not bear fruit in a rapid sense, we won't know that for five years though. Yeah, well, like I said, that's a long time to keep somebody on the job who hasn't done a good job. The ship. That's why executives get canned when stuff like this happens. The ship turns slowly. It better turn a lot. Maybe faster nobody than else it has wants been. the job. I think other people would absolutely take oh, that job. Oh, wants the job, but would be want the job and Microsoft would think they could do it? Those are two different things. Eh, I don't know. They could find people. Uh, let's you answer just, a couple more. You just send them an email. Send who an email? Microsoft. You should be like, hey, when you get rid of Phil. <laughs> I'm not qualified <laughs> to do that job. Not at all. But I, put, I still put more on Matrix's shoulders for the state of they're in right now. Spencer didn't help in a lot of ways, but... Any hype from Kadaz1? Any hype left for games that miss the show? Final Fantasy VII Remake, Life is Strange 2, Splinter Cell, Mortal Kombat. Uh, I mean, I'd play First any of all, one of those. Square did go on record this week saying that uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is not in the early stage of production. 
It's well into production, mm -hmm. and basically said people need to Whatever stop freaking out. Right, but they said people need to stop freaking out about it. That, yeah, well, you took ten years to release the last one, so I right. can understand why people are freaking out. You know, when you make your bed, like, you gotta lie in it. Show them, show them ten seconds. Right. Throw them a bone, yeah. people. Like, come, I, it's it was it was a. It was a poor choice. I mean, there ha if you're that deep in production, there must be something you could show somebody. I mean, that last trailer was just a mock-up, basically. Yep. But I understand why Final Fantasy fans are, are uh, skittish right yeah. now about that project. To answer your question, yeah, there's still hype. Just because the yeah. stuff wasn't shown at E3. I'd play all four of those things you yeah. put in front of me Absolutely. right now. Sure. Yeah. It's not going to change whether I'm excited for them. I think it hurts with their visibility and I think yeah, their I mean, cachet. I mean, it sounds like Life is Strange 2 is so far out that yeah. it doesn't matter right you're now. Not, you're not rolling up pre-orders with these games right now because they weren't yeah. shown, but you're not worried about pre-orders yet for yeah, those Yeah, and I, I feel like all those games, uh, next E3. Like they're a year, year away. They should be. Yeah. I mean, Final Fantasy VII Remake was already at E3. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think hype matters for something that's not gonna be out that long, for that long. Um, Cyberpunk 2077, notwithstanding because I think that game is a pretty far way out too. Here's one from the Surly Mexican. With the backlash from the Nintendo Direct, do you think Nintendo will push out another Direct sooner than they might have originally to satisfy the stockholders? Oh, thank you, Wampler, for subscribing, man. Appreciate it. Um, um, that's, a, that's a pretty good question. Probably not. My guess is no. Yeah. Like, Nintendo doesn't really do Nintendo that. Nintendo don't play that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how it does business. It, uh... It, it has a schedule. Yeah, and it, it has its plan it. and it sticks to it unless things go drastically wrong. And I just feel like, I feel like this stock market thing is kind of an overcorrection. No, absolutely. And it'll bounce yeah. back. It'll come back. And it'll be fine. It, what people don't realize is that Nintendo of Japan runs Nintendo. It probably doesn't even care what the U.S. stock market yeah. is doing. Like, it, it cares a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it did lose 15% in like five days. I mean, they noticed, I'm yeah. sure. But... I mean, they lost billions of valuation in five days. So... They obviously are aware yeah. of it, but they're, Nintendo is not the knee-jerk reaction company. That's what the other companies do. Nintendo takes its time, it comes up with new ideas, it executes them and launches them, they become a success, and then the other guys are left doing the knee-jerk stuff. That's not how Nintendo rolls. Um, and that's one thing I do admire about Nintendo, is it has a very steady hand on the wheel. It doesn't just freak out and follow trends, it sets the trends, and then you see everybody else freak out and try to follow the trends. So, yeah, I don't see it changing Nintendo's Direct schedule. If it if there's a Direct next month, I would say that that Direct was scheduled for next month all along. Uh, one more. I've got to keep tapping things to see more messages. Um, Major Tom. Supposedly, Platinum was using money for Scalebound to complete Nier, Nier Automata. I heard that was But not I can't true. corroborate that. That was not true as I heard. That was like a, some rumor thing. Oh. If that were the case, then Phil had every right to cancel that game. That would be a good reason to cancel, but I heard that that was just like rumor and not, not a real thing. Yeah. I heard Platinum denied that. Of course, Platinum would deny that, but I don't know. That I have not seen substantiated. Uh, what, here's the last one, the legacy. If E3 moves to Vegas, what building should it be in in regards to Sony corporations are as evil as their customers allow them to be? Uh, it should it, be in the Los, Las Vegas Convention Center. Yeah, I mean, that's the only place it would ever be. I know maybe you've never been to Vegas, maybe you have, but if you've been to Vegas, you would realize that no casino in Las Vegas is big enough to hold E3. No. It's... Like, maybe if you cleared the whole thing out and... Maybe clear out the in. whole strip yeah. and, like, every casino became E3, it would fit. 
But yeah, there's a huge convention center Don't in Las Vegas. Don't give ideas. Yeah, exactly. That would be kind of fun, actually. But be uh, better than the Santa Monica one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's a huge, huge convention center in Las Vegas, way bigger yeah. than the one in LA. It's cavernous. Like, it's like four times the size of the LA like, convention that's center. That's why the San, like San Diego keeps San Diego Comic Con keeps like the the. the keeps bubbling to the surface the idea of them moving to Vegas because yeah. the Las Vegas Convention Center could handle San Diego Comic-Con. Absolutely. That's how big it is. Yeah. Also, that whole that whole section is nothing but hotels. Yeah. Like, it would work. It would, yeah. It would and there's have, just billions of hotels in yeah. Vegas. I, I mean, mean, the downside is you're, you're in Vegas. Um, or to a lot of people, and, that's the upside. And, Although... <laughs> Nah, I don't like, uh, we would have some really great stories to tell if E3 was in Las probably Vegas. Probably at this at, on the flip side, if you if you want to stop encouraging loot boxes, sending these yeah, developers yeah. to Vegas <laughs> is probably not the best way to make them stop thinking about there that. There would be all kinds of stories though about developers that like didn't show up for their demos oh, the just, next day. Just the like, just the stories of the Mandalay Bay parties and photos who, who, who dove of, into the Shark Tank and did the yeah yeah photos be, of developers at like strip clubs and stuff. It, it would be bad, but awesome at the same time. So that's it. That's our best of E3 2018 episode uh, for Game Face. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Hope you guys have enjoyed E3. Uh, hope you guys have enjoyed our coverage of E3. There's a lot more to come still. We got a bunch of content that we shot yesterday that we still got to get posted. Uh, once we put up this episode and you guys start commenting, we'll figure out what to do with the uh, cyberpunk audio and we'll do that for you guys uh but it's been a great show matt man it's been a great e3 mm -hmm. working with you man how many have we been through together now five six seven like eight or nine you mean like since you came to tech tv yeah just since we've ever oh, known each other known each other that was that would be 16 2002 <laughs> crazy uh, it was a great show. I really, really enjoyed this E3 in a number of ways. Um, hopefully it's not my last, but you never know. But if it was, man, I, I really squeeze it for all it was worth. And it was great doing another E3 with Matt and with Sam, and uh, especially for you guys. Thanks for your nice, support. Nice, comfortable couch this time. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. And uh, thanks to you guys for supporting us. Our Patreon has actually gone up all the way through E3. We have more patrons right now than we've ever had. Um, the money amount isn't is the most we've ever had, but we have the most people contributing to it now. And I hope they stick around when the month turns over. It, always, it seems like we always get up there and then the month turns over and a bunch of them leave. Well, so Everybody got to gotta pull out that 60 bucks to buy the crew too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for your support. You guys have been great through E3. Um, I'm going to take a day off or two this weekend. Hopefully you guys will give me a pass on that. That seems fair. So, uh, yeah, so... Probably Monday, things will start kicking into gear again. I seriously just need to get some sleep and kick my feet up I mean, a little bit. I mean, what could possibly happen yeah. in, in two days of a weekend after E3? Hopefully nothing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but thanks again, you guys. Thanks to all you guys who have subscribed to us through Twitch Prime in the stream today. Unfortunately, because I have this closed, a lot of the notifications yeah, you gotta, you gotta I set that so it never goes to sleep. That'll, yeah, that'll that. uh, we'll figure it out. But anyway, I appreciate you guys very, very much for everything you've done for Sifted and uh, for supporting us during E3. I saw a lot of you guys out there on social media imploring people to use Sifted for E3. I appreciate everything that you guys do. It means a lot to me. So have a great weekend. Enjoy your E3 hangover. Game Face is up and out.